Morelia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Morelia Python Radio. Tonight, we're talking Blackheads with Douglas Taylor. Um, many, many people may know uh, Doug from the Northwest Carpet Fest. Uh, he's the guy that hosts uh, Northwest Carpet Fest, and um, he's kind of an old school herper. Uh, he has worked with, oh man, <clears throat> Blackheads and Bolins and Barons Racers and Musarana, and uh, he's even worked with Shingleback Skinks, uh, <laughs> Madagascan Tree Boas, uh, Madagascan Ground Boas. Uh, so it should be uh, should be a cool show. Uh, looking looking forward to getting some black-headed Python talk in there. Um, and how we stumbled upon it was uh, because uh, – hold on, that's him asking me a question. How you doing, Owen? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Um, and I think what you were saying is didn't uh, Bill Hughes tell us that Doug kind of had all this stuff? Or no, no, wait. Was Ian yeah. – was it, it was nope, Ian. You were yeah. right. No, that was no. Ah, you were right. So Ian didn't get it. No credit for him today. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So yeah, and I mean that's just awesome. And I mean we've we've had conversations with Doug, you know, about uh, Carpet Fest and setting that up. And uh, his Carpet Fest is the one that attempts to kill Nick Button every year and somehow fails. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure next year. I, it is. I mean, I'm pretty sure next year it's just going to be like, will Nick Button survive? a gunshot and they just shoot him. So, you know, that's hopefully not where it goes, but uh, it's definitely very cool. And I know you're getting into blackheads and I'm far too nervous to have blackheads. So I'll stick with my little Wilma's, but <laughs> <laughs> they scare you. You deal with uh-huh. white lips, Owen. <laughs> white lips don't hurt. Well, they do hurt each other, yes, but white they lips do. don't eat each other, but they don't eat each other. They just maim each other. You know, it's like it, white lips just, save all their aggression for me if i can get a pair of blackheads that hates me but loves each other i'd be totally fine with it totally fine with it but you know i get nervous when i put my cow kings together and you're telling me to worry about a, you know much higher priced much larger animal yeah so yeah uh we'll see what well i was planning on getting this year but you know how things yep. work out and um, the the con the type that I wanted, um, Dave didn't have success with them. Um, there is, uh, you know, I have a specific ones that I want to uh, pick up from Derek, and then there's the ones from Dave, of course. Um, but uh, I know the ones from Derek is like Bolin's price tag, so <laughs> I gotta I gotta I gotta sell some snakes before I uh, yeah. Uh, so. But, uh, yeah, man, this is a cool time of year uh, up here in the Northern Hemisphere because this is when everything is hatching out. Um, yep. Seeing all the cool things hatching out, all the new, uh, you know, uh, people to uh, to come into the Morelia fold with uh, being successful with breeding and hatching out some cool stuff. I can't even keep track of it all. But the one thing that really stood out to me this week, I have to mention this because this relates mm. to you. So. Oh. 
Mike Brogdon, <laughs> Mike Brogdon sends me, you know, we talk all the time, Facebook message and back yeah. and forth. And um, he sends me this picture and it's, it's an Xanic and what I guess is a super caramel Jag. Poss. So, yeah. So it's, it's an Xanic Jag and a Poss super caramel Jag. And they're yeah. on the grass. And I see this picture, and immediately I thought that this was something from uh, Australia. And yeah. I was like, holy shit, man, that's killer. Whose are they? And he's like, they're mine. And I'm like, they're yours? I said, what, what is it? What's the story? And he's like, well, Owen uh, is the Super Caramel Jag, and Nick Mutton produced the Xanic. And I don't know if it's just the two of them side by side. Uh, but holy shit, in, in, man. in the bright that sunlight, yeah. Hot. That, that yeah, I nice. I knew I knew she was going to be good uh, when she hatched, and um, it's one of those where uh, if I had not already chosen my holdbacks, um, I would have had her as the, basically it's one of those like I kept her sister, uh, who I absolutely love, and I've posted up pictures of her at uh, Ilya, but it's like one of those where. I had already picked what I thought was going to be the best looking female and I'm pretty happy with my hold back. Don't get me wrong. So it was like one of those where I cannot keep all the girls. I have to let some of them go. And Mike was kind of been up my butt about getting a pop super caramel Jack for me since I hashed my first couple. So I, I, I let him take her. So he took her and, she has turned out fantastic, which is pretty much on par with where I thought she was going to end up going. Um, and putting her right next to that Exanic Jag from Nick is just, they play each other so freaking well. And I've done that picture <laughs> with, with my own stuff. Like I put my Exanic Jag with my uh, Pot Super Caramels and I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I do know that this is already fantastic, but yeah, she turned out real nice. I'm real happy with her. And he's like, I don't know if I should post it. I'm like, will you freaking put the picture up? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you always post it. Yeah. It's like, why would you, you not? Always, <laughs> why would you not do this? It's like, you know, he does that all the time. He's like, I'm not sure if I should post it. And I just yell at him until he posts it. Because it's like, you need to do this. People need to see how pretty she is. Because right. I got a whole bunch of her half sisters here that need to freaking leave, so you know that's <laughs> how it goes. Yeah, well, she's she's outstanding, uh, an outstanding yeah. animal. So every once in a while, I do produce good things. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, not, not all dog shit. Let's, and really nice. Let's games. not get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Settle down there, big guy. Oh, now it's gone to his head. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh what else I, i'm trying to think what else so what what yeah well actually i got to see these uh those two in person yesterday because um i traveled up to mike's spot and picked up two female jungles uh yes to uh to do a breeding loan and uh, i'm not usually fond of breeding loans however you know especially with people that you don't know, but with people that you right. do know and, you know, it's in what I call the inner circle, then it's kind of cool. Um, the, uh, the advantages are, uh, you know, that you get, you know, 
an animal that you could have access to that you might not necessarily uh, have access to, whether it's a specific lineage or a horde right. or whatever, color, pattern, and all those kind of things. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the bad side of it is, is that you have to be careful when you're introducing stuff uh, into your collection. Uh, you know, they could bring something in, um, sometimes even with people not knowing. But speaking of which, this yep. Sunday we're going to be on GTP Keeper Radio. and we're gonna Oh, be God. Come right into the freaking Game of Thrones premiere. I mean, oh, do God they know how it. much? <laughs> I know! <laughs> Oh man, I didn't even know. Oh, you didn't even think about it until I mentioned it, did you? No. You know. <laughs> yeah, there's you know the freaking green tree oh, people. Man. So first it's a cut into the Super Bowl, <laughs> then they cut into the. What's going on over there? You're supposed they to have these guys anything check. right. Jeez, man, these guys should be in check. These goddamn Condro people, man. <laughs> I'm a, don't you you better believe I'm gonna bring this shit up when we are on there, because you know if you are on there you're just gonna be polite and happy to be there. I'm gonna raise freaking hell. <laughs> we'll so never Bill, be invited back. So. I guess Bill's Bill's off because he's watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> he's like, oh, I can't do it, buddy. He's screw this. Yeah, you know I'm a little pissed about that. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I didn't even think about that. Oh, but there is. Uh, well, I can watch it at any time, but uh, yeah, I mean, anyway, <laughs> it was fun to, to complain about, right? It um, was, I, and I yeah. plan to do it again. So, <laughs> yeah, tune so in we'll on Sunday, on there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. We'll be on there Sunday, and, and that's, uh, you know, uh, one of the topics that we're going to be talking about. And um, Cody uh, Bart, Bartoloni, I think is how you say his last name. He's going to be on there. He's the guest, but uh, I met him in Tinley, and uh, it's an awesome guy. Um, has some amazing chondros, but uh, you know, um, I think he had some issues with uh, some animals that he bought or something, and and that's sort of what uh, you know they're going to talk about. So I'm glad that it's come to light, and um, just makes you nervous about uh, about things oh, like that. So yeah. So anyway, uh, I picked up these jungles, and uh, it's uh, the infamous Scattershot Delia Clutch uh, jungle, I, which is freaking amazing. Exactly. And, yeah, uh, the um, uh, the male that is the sire of the four little baby jungles that I bred this year is a Delia Scattershot. And it's like high letter yellow and deep dark black. It's like everything you've ever wanted in a jungle, you know. Right. And um, that's going with a – first we were going to do a jungle, but then, you know, me and Mike just kind of looking around. <laughs> when he was fixing my pool, we were looking around the room, and I'm like, hey, maybe we should put this uh, diamond jungle jag to it and see what we get. And, you know, um, I know Scott Borden just threw up in his mouth, but that's okay. Yeah, well, he's convulsing <laughs> on the ground now. <laughs> um, but – on the flip side of that, I have a I have this uh, jungle from Jason Balin that's like high black. It's like really black. Yeah. I bought it because it had a funky pattern, and uh, Mike had this um, jungle that I believe he said it was his first jungle, and he got it from Brian Humble, and it comes from Covergirl um, lineage. Um, 
And that one is at like at the end of the tail, it's pretty much all black. Um, and it has like a stripe going down it. So we're going to try to make some high black jungles nice. um, and get that project going. So yeah, it was cool. Uh, he's got you, some you cool got stuff. You got a lot of stuff going like, you know, with all your, Ooh, all, all your pairings, your, your little breeding journal that's already up and running. Yeah, so I've been working on that for like about a month trying to get it together. I'm still missing some pictures and some stuff, but um, actually what I did is I kind of mimicked um, Anthony Caponetto's breeding journal. I always liked right. uh, when I first got into reptiles, uh, well, back into reptiles, I always dug what like Ralph Davis did with his breeding journal. And mm. I know that uh, carpet people are kind of big on lineage and stuff like that. So I figured rather than handing somebody a disc, uh, you know, I was handing them like a, a, a disc at a show with the lineage on it and all, I figured I'd just put it on the website and uh, you get all the info right there. And it's a way for me to uh, sort of keep my records uh, up to snuff. What are you vacuuming over there or something? What are you doing? No, why? Oh, no, it's the, it's the fan on the computer. Oh, so. it's like, holy shit, I, what are you it, it might be getting, it might be exploding in a minute. Like I don't know. Like it, it, there might be a very loud bang, and then that'll be the end of this side of Merle Bite on Radio. So, oh boy. Yeah. Well, um, I think let me see. I think we have. Uh, let me see. I think we have Doug on the line. Uh, we do. So let's get this show rolling. Cool. Hey Doug, welcome to Moray hey, Radio. How you doing? It's good. To, uh, it's, yeah, I'm doing great. Great to talk to you guys for the first time. This is uh, this is fun. I've been a listener to the show since, um, and I mean this in the best way. Since you guys are really bad, and like you wouldn't <laughs> even notice. <laughs> you guys wouldn't even you wouldn't even notice somebody vacuuming or dogs barking in the background and now you're like yeah. what is that sound <laughs> yeah, back yeah. i've been i've been sort of flipping through the catalog in the back and you know just like listening to little snippets of uh of shows and stuff and man <laughs> i i refuse we were so green under the collar back then holy shit <laughs> oh uh, you know and it's 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 so it's it's funny to listen to because like I remember uh, the drinking game like uh, wasn't it wasn't it passion like if somebody passion. came on and said passion 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 you'd be yeah, like you're dead. sending people yeah. to the hospital yeah <laughs> so true so true uh, that's all awesome. um, and I have been listening long enough uh, to know that uh, you do a pretty good Christopher Walken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't do it now. So, I have to work up to it, but maybe in the show. We might all right. Well, you, you, got, you got the whole show. You got the whole Paul show. At some point, you're gonna to have it. to yeah. ask. You're gonna have to ask me some questions. <laughs> all right. No pressure. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll no send pressure. him out to your carpet fest, and he can just Christopher walking his way through the entire carpet fest. I also, I also do uh, I also do a pretty good viper keeper too. Oh God, please God! I, I have seen that. Okay, you just added to the list. I yeah. need to hear Christopher Walken and viper keeper. There you go. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh. 
Oh, God. I'm going to see that guy on Saturday. So, um, <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, he goes to – sometimes he shows up at one of the local shows around here. So, And it's funny because, like, he's signing people's, like, Egyptian cobra containers and stuff like that. And you're like, <laughs> really? So it's, you know, one of those. Oh, dude, that's fantastic. You know, um, I God bless my wife. She puts up with my little uh, – things that I'm fixated on and mm. you know she she watches her shows like you know Orange is the New Black and all the things that that people are supposed to watch on TV <laughs> and, I, and I pull up Viper Keeper and I'm watching <laughs> the guys make poop out of cages and she just smiles and pats me on the hand <laughs> that sounds so familiar it sounds like my <laughs> yeah. that is every one of us yeah Hopefully every passion, one of us. Passion, baby. Passion. Yeah. It's the passion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, going off of the passion, Doug, why don't you tell us how you got started in this whole crazy, you know, hobby that we all are in? You know, it's it's kind of interesting because I've been in it uh, a, a few years. I'm uh, I'm 52. You know, I'm hardly an old guy, but uh, old in some people's eyes. And um, but you know, there was old guys when I started. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a little kid growing up in the Southern California deserts. And, you know, so we had king snakes and rattlesnakes and horn lizards and glossy snakes and desert tortoises. They were just all out there in the fields. Um, you know, dad, dad worked for the uh, military industrial complex. So we we're always kind of out there in suburbia at the edge of, at the edge of the housing projects. And so, you know, me and my brother and me and my friends could just hop on our bikes and head out into the deserts and, and catch catch and look at animals. And, you know, I think that's pretty much where it started. And, you know, I had – my parents were great. They uh, they definitely encouraged interest in animals and science and things like that. And Dad brought home uh, a couple little glossy snakes um, and uh, inside a cage. He had a, he had a coworker who was – heavily into snakes and this coworker built a cage for us for me and my brother and a couple little glossy snakes that we kept in there and that it didn't flip the switch with my brother um but it definitely did so with me and uh ever since it's like yes reptiles animals in general but you know reptiles even more so and so that started i guess about eight eight years old and you know i had a few reptiles as a kid but you know, didn't really get into the hobby hardcore until probably uh, got a pair of boas when I was about 21. And, uh, you know, by the time I was uh, 25, I pretty much had started, you know, keeping whatever could be kept. Um, And, you know, this is all pre-internet, so it's just, you know, Burmese pythons, boa constrictors, corn snakes and stuff that that were just out there. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So that was just kind of, just kind of what, you know, got me going in this hobby. Um, and I think it's just, it's something that's similar that most people in our hobby have is they just have that interest in nature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it typically starts with us pretty young and we're out there getting dirty and getting bit and running around <laughs> and just having a good time out there. And, you know, we we become adults and we wanna we wanna keep in touch with that. And so, 
You know, we have that little bit of nature that we keep inside our house. We call them our pets and everything. We give them names, but, you know, our, our reptiles are wild animals. And I think we're just trying to keep in touch with that little bit of uh, love of nature when we keep these reptiles. So, I don't know. True. There's there's one one opinion that I've thrown out. Uh, one That's true. No, I, out. I'm kind of agreeing with you, but and now what what brought you to Morelia and, and Blackheads? Boy, um, so this is all, again, pre-internet, and there mm-hmm. were a handful of books that were very influential on people my age, and probably the most influential would be Living Snakes of the World by Mertens. Okay. Um, and, and if you haven't seen that book, um, go find it, go look at it, and, and realize that that was the internet. <laughs> that was our source of cool pictures of reptiles around the world. Um, there was that one, um, Pythons of the World, that uh, the Barkers had, Volume 1 with the Australian snakes and uh, what was it? The reproductive husbandry of pythons and boas um, by Ross and Marzak. And I probably read through those books end to end a couple of times. And, you know, blackheads were one of the animals that always stuck out. And so, uh, you know, as years went on, I started, uh, you know, keeping snakes and having some success breeding them. You know, the wife, she didn't mind because every once in a while I'd produce some babies and I'd sell babies and, uh, you know, she would get a new couch out of it or a vacation or whatever. So she never really cared what I got into. And uh, Regal Reptiles is the company. Mm-hmm. And I think, they're, I think they're still around. Um, and they, they had a pair of blackheads. Go ahead. Are, I think. Yeah, I, I want to say they're out of Rhode Island and – they had a pair of yearling blackheads and, you know, it was the first time that they were available to me and I just jumped at the chance and I'm glad I did, man. They're fun snakes to work with. As far as Morelia, I'm, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I've had diamond pythons and of all the Morelia, you know, they're supposed to be like the chillest and, you know, they're definitely beautiful snakes. Mm-hmm. My first pair that I ever had, uh, I followed that one recipe for breeding that uh, that uh, certain dentist whose name I, I can't remember anyway, but you know, he recommended hibernating them, and that really is not the way to not the way to do it. And my so I had this beautiful pair of adult diamond pythons that oh. died. I mean, I brought them out of hibernation, and they just went. They just crawled up to the heat as fast as they could, and then within 24 hours, they were both dead. Um, and so the next Morelia that I had um, was the Boland's pythons. And damn if they didn't change the uh, species, so I didn't have Morelia anymore. Then in a trade with Casey Lazic um, a few years back, I, I had some uh, shingleback skinks that turned out to be both males. Um, and so Casey and I made a little trade, which included some Darwin, um, you know, first, first generation in the USA Darwins, and those ended up with Nick Mutton, and I, I believe they're doing okay with Nick. Um, so the only Morelia I have 
officially anymore are a new pair or a fairly young pair of diamond pythons. They're probably getting to be breeding size. And the female is the meanest reptile I have ever owned. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Mark Crap. Yeah. So, so we have Carpet Fest here, Northwest Carpet Fest. Um, we've had it here the past few years. And, and Nick's buddy, Mark Goyer. Mark, uh, Mark is, he is amazing with handling reptiles. He, he'll just pick them up and they will just be chill and relaxed in his hands. And I've, I've always admired that. And, you know, I point to that female diamond. I'm like, okay, Mark, I, I can't hold her without getting bit. You know, show me how it's done. And he reaches in, he pulls her right out of the cage, and it's, he's holding it. And that lasted about 10 seconds. <laughs> and she, she <laughs> went ahead and started biting and constricting him. And uh, oh. so <laughs> she, is the meanest, she is the meanest snake I've ever owned. Which We're going to bring this up to Mark next week, so we'll, we'll ask yeah. him. <laughs> He'll ask. I, we, there's pictures. There's video. Um, <laughs> you know, he didn't... <laughs> He didn't. He didn't bleed, you know, and everyone just laughed because you know the the snake just gave him a massive titty twister. Um, <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> oh, it's horrible. But, uh, yeah, I know diamonds are supposed to be like uh, the chillest, most relaxed snakes ever. Um, I used to keep the male and female together because they look really pretty together. But after having to separate them uh, three times because the male saw me move, or the female saw me move, struck the male, and started constricting him with me in the room. I'm like, dang it, you idiot. I'm like, literally, I had to grab my wife. I'm like, here, here's the male. He doesn't bite. You hold that in. I'll hold this in. Um, You know, separated them. And so I had to, I have to keep them in separate cages now. And I have to, you know, when it comes time to breed, I'll just have to be super careful, I suppose. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what do you do? I mean, wow. every once in a while, there's just a crazy one. There's yeah. Just a crazy <laughs> one. So I had a quick question, and this kind of goes back to what you were talking about when you are talking about, like, pre-internet. And I'm curious, like, what was the difference between keepers that are now as opposed to back then? Like, what was the main difference between how the hobby was approached? Boy, I mean, you had to – somehow you just had to be able to network with people, you know, like you go to a show or you go to, like, a herpetological society, and uh, which, you know, by the way, I'm going to be giving a big plug for later in the show. But, um, you know, you have to go to some sort of reptile club and meet up with people and – um, you know, I didn't, I never really had trouble meeting up with folks and like at the, the reptile societies and just, you know, asking for tips or, you know, getting information. And that's kind of where like you'd find out who the local person was. It was breeding rats and stuff like that. Um, but I would say the biggest thing was you had to be a lot more self-sufficient. You had to be able to like, invent your own cages because you know no one was gonna no one was making them right uh you'd you'd see uh you'd see a cabinet at a garage sale and your first thought is i can make that a snake cage and you'd (laughs) 
take it home, take off the doors and put glass in front of it. And, you know, if it works, you know, you're good at it. Um, and you'd use like thermostats from, uh, you know, the chicken incubators and, you know, people were, you had to be kind of resourceful. Um, cause you know, this is, this is the golden age of keeping reptiles. Everything is available. Right. You know, you yeah. know, there's like, there's thermostats that will like do a night drop for you. Um, and you know, they're correct within tenths of a degree and they're designed specifically for reptiles and you know, they're not necessarily cheap, but, uh, you know, you got that and there's any number of people that make cages that are adequate for 90% of the stuff that's kept in the hobby out there right now. And, um, I mean, it's a golden age to be able to keep reptiles. It's kind of like, uh, Eric, you'll appreciate this. This is a golden age to be a musician, but it's a shitty age. Oops, sorry, I'm trying, we're not supposed to be explicit. Um, it's a no, terrible no, it's, age. You can do it all, yeah, no, curse all you want. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, 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 it's not a child. When, yeah. when I talk about music, um, if you're a musician, you know, great guitar. You can buy a really nice guitar for 300 bucks. Oh, yeah. You know, 30, 30 years ago it would have been a thousand. Yeah. And, but you can't make money playing music. No. But you can, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can do all sorts of really amazing things with uh, cheap musical instruments out there. But, you know, nobody's going to buy your music because everyone's got great stuff now. And it's kind of like that with the hobby. There's fantastic cage makers out there. And they're making really cool cages, and there's good um, thermostat makers out there, and humidity misters, and, you know, hell, pretty soon we're going to have automatic feeders for our snakes, and we'll be able to just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> every Tuesday it's just going to drop a rat down into the cage for Betsy uh, for to swallow. And, you know, so it's become a lot easier to be a reptile keeper. Um and it's not nearly as fringe as it used to be. Um, you know, but that being said, back in the day, you could, you really could get some, like here in Washington State, uh, you know, you could get anything. You know, everything was legal up until about eight years ago. And so it's like each age, each age has its golden age and it has its advantages that it gets to enjoy. Um, and, you know, so we just have to, as hobbyists, you know, nowadays we can see what's out there. We really have to work towards keeping this a golden age for everybody and for generations to come. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> absolutely. So I, I think it was networking in person was a lot more important back in the day. I think that's probably how I would describe it as being different from now. You know, the internet is a wonderful thing for us reptile keepers and we're able to you know i regularly talk to people in europe and south america and australia and you know about reptiles or about whatever yeah yeah so yeah you're exposed to things that you normally would never you know be exposed to you know uh with, no. with breeders in australia say you know able to share experiences with them and stuff. And, uh, you know, back then I, you couldn't, you know, 
it's funny. I think of like, uh, I think I've said this before in the show, but like when I was a young kid, so I'm 43. And when I was a young kid, I um, kept Burmese pythons and, and all these different kind of pythons and stuff. But I never worried about a hot spot or any of that stuff. Like I kept it in a fish tank and put a light bulb on top of it. You know, you put the books on top of the the screen and the brick and that was it. You know, it wasn't like had to be a specific, it was just whatever the room temperature was. And it grew. Uh, They grew to be 20 feet long. (laughs) You know, the resiliency of that species, you know, the abuse that we all put them through. Because, yeah, I, have, I had a couple of berms over the years also. And, you know, the abuse, the absolute abuse, the way I kept that, my Burmese python, there's no way I would keep a snake like that. Right. I, <laughs> I know. You know, I kept it in a cage that I would, like, a full-grown king snake I would keep in the same size cage now and, and think, well, you know, that's okay. But, you know, this was a 12-and-a-half-foot male Burmese python. I had it in a small little cage that was heated, and I'd open it and let him crawl out every other day or so. And yeah. It was just to- totally inappropriate. <laughs> oh, how we grow. So, yeah, and there's more. That's what the Internet has done is it has taken away our excuses. We can't be ignorant anymore. We can't yeah. pretend we didn't know about how to take care of these these animals that uh, we say we love so much. Right. So, yeah, no more keeping a 12-foot Burmese python in a three-by-four-foot cage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so speaking People are going to notice. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Speaking of keeping, let's let's talk about um, how you kept how you keep your blackheads. Like, what's your approach okay. to keeping them? You know. Um, I only, I only have the one pair, but I've been fairly successful with them. So, you know, I guess I can, I'm justified in saying how I keep them. Um, sure. And, yeah. and, and realistically, they're, they're pretty easy. They're one of those snakes that, uh, you know, once they start feeding, um, you really got to work hard to screw up. Um, but in the theme of, you know, the improper impropriety of how I kept that Burmese python. Um, <laughs> I'll say at least now uh, I'm keeping my blackhead pythons uh, with a little, a little more health and respect in mind. Um, you want to, you, I, I keep the, the ambient temperature at 83. Um, okay. Or that's the ambient daytime temperature. Okay. And they have a hot, they have a hot spot and a cool spot. And so, I just aim for that ambient, and if they want to get warmer, they go sit on the hot spot. And if they want to cool down, they go to the cool spot. Um, the front pretty arid regions, so I've never worried about humidity, except, you know, in my brain, I'm thinking when they go underground, it's always, it's always going to be cooler and more humid underground with most species. And so just about everything I keep, I give them a humid hide box. So, you know, just a typical Rubbermaid big tote that they can crawl into that's dark. And I keep uh, damp, damp peat moss. Okay. And so, you know, they just, they go in there and it's their little hidey hole and they come out and it's dry and hot, just like it would be in Australia. And, 
and uh, they go back down in the cage. I, I, I reduce the, uh, I don't change the, the ambient temperature um, for winter and summer, but I do change the daylight hours where I'm actually trying to maintain that. So, um, you know, they always go into their little hidey hole at night, or almost always. And so my snake room, you know, here in the Seattle area, getting a snake room down to below 70 year-round is pretty easily or pretty easily done. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, in the summer, I'll give them 12 to 14 hours of, you know, heat and um, 12 to 10 hours of, you know, not being heated up, just getting down to room temperature. And then in the wintertime, I cut that down to about six hours. Okay. And, and they drive. They, they do just fine. They're not, they're not difficult snakes to keep. Um, you know, they're, they're another one of those that getting them to, getting them to eat um, as babies is tough. But once they're mm-hmm. eating, they will eat everything. They will <laughs> eat everything. Now, I have heard, I haven't seen pictures or, you know, independent sources saying this, but I've heard that there is documented cases of them eating, uh, I think they're called yabbies. They're essentially the Australian version of crawdads. Oh, really? Okay. From streams of water in riparian zones. I don't know if that's true. I've heard it. (laughs) It wouldn't surprise me. It, it sounds completely within the bounds of something that they would do. Um, I fed mine mice, and I fed them rats, and I fed them guinea pigs, and rabbits, and chicken parts, and other snakes. But uh, well, we won't go into the backstory of that. But uh, <laughs> you know, they they eat everything, and they'll eat a lot of it. Um, and they'll get obese if you really, really enjoy feeding them. So you know, you just Show a little bit of restraint, and uh, you know, don't let them get fat, and feed them, feed them as much as you want until they start getting chubby, and then feed them less. Gotcha. Um, but the temperatures, you know, I I keep mine on aspen, shredded aspen. The temperatures are 83, and you know, hot spot, cool spot. It's that basic stuff that uh, we've kind of all kind of all learned is the best way to keep them. Right. When when you uh, talk about cool spot, is that cooler than the ambient temperature, than the, than the 83 degrees? So um, primarily with my female, she's in a fairly tall cage. Um, uh-huh. And so her, her hot spot and her little hidey hole is at that ambient 83. But she actually can go down even lower in the cage, and it's kind of – it's protected from that heat. And so I would guess, uh, I probably could even go in the room, but I would guess that uh, the temperature in the lowest part of her cage is probably in the mid-70s. Here. Okay. I'm, I'm next to the cage. I'm next to the cage now. Let's find out. There you go. All <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. 74.8. So mid-70s if she wants to really cool down. Okay. Do you notice them go into that uh, often? Or? Nah, not much. No. No. Maybe if it gets, you know, if it gets hot in the house. Um, but, 
you know, with global warming and keeping reptiles, I realized about six years ago I needed to get uh, air conditioning in my house. And uh, nobody in Seattle has air conditioning except for the past couple of years. Everybody's starting to get air conditioning because all of a sudden the summers are getting warm. And right. uh, so my house, my house doesn't get, uh, it doesn't get too hot in the uh, summertime. So they don't have to go down into that cool side very often, but sometimes they just do for whatever reason. And, you know, our snakes do what they want. Sure. And, you know, we can try and, we can try and figure out why they're doing it, but maybe they just don't feel like being warm. Right. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, we overanalyze stuff, you know, we like trying to think like, well, why are they doing that? And, you know, and you, I don't know, sometimes people just, <laughs> they just want to be cold, <laughs> you know, I would imagine that's the same thing. Like, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know they, sometimes they just aren't interested in being warm and yeah. sometimes they just want to see what it looks like on the floor. I, yeah. You know what? She does what Give she the does. option. Yeah, if you have the option, they'll take advantage of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's see. I think, yeah, we covered feeding a little bit. But um, in the wild, you know, they're pretty much a reptile feeders. And so I've tried to get their meals a little bit more like a reptile would be. So I'll, I'll give them a rodent and then maybe – like I'll get a chicken drumstick or a turkey neck or something and and follow it up with that so it's just kind of lean meat and bone. Right. So it it kind of, you know, would be a little bit more like a reptile where there's not much, or a wild reptile where there's not much fat, but there's plenty of muscle and bone. Um, and and they'll, eat, they'll eat chicken drumsticks. They'll eat chicken wings just fine. There's... Wow. Yeah, no problem with that. So, don't don't let your hands smell like chicken. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's probably not good. But uh, but they're def- definitely. Um, uh, I hate to use the word smarter because you know that's kind of anthropomorphic. Um, but they seem to be uh, a little more discerning between what's food. And what's a human, okay. and uh, then a uh, let's say a woma would be, you know, you, you never have trouble feeding womas either, um, but you probably have to be a little more careful getting them out of the cage. Whereas, you know, I I can pull out my blackheads; they'll be cage defensive, but I use a hook to pull them out of the cage, and then they're just they're awesome. They just throw them around your shoulder. It's so outside their frame of reference to be you know, pulled out of where they're comfortable and thrown on top of somebody's shoulders. I imagine it's like one of us being taken up into a spaceship, you know, by aliens. You know, you just kind right. of sit there and go, what the <laughs> hell is going on? You yeah. know, hmm. You're not going to attack the aliens and eat them, even if they look like a turkey sandwich. You're just going to, like, try and right. figure out what's happening. And I, and I think that's what's going on in the blackheads' minds. I think, I think Walmart's the other Aspidites. I think they'll just go ahead and eat the alien sandwich-shaped alien. And, uh, <laughs> just go ahead and try it, yeah, just to be safe. <laughs> yeah. That could be food. I'm hungry. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so pretty, pretty easy to keep. Um, and you know, they're they're like giant king snakes. Um, mm. 
We hear know, that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Lomas and blackheads are they're so different from other pythons, which have that, you know, their head and their neck are very distinct. Um, you know, the blackheads and walnuts, their heads are, they, they look like king snakes or, you know, cobras or something like that. They're just, um, it's not distinct. Um, you know, and unless you were told that it was a python and you didn't really know snakes, you probably wouldn't think it's a python. Um, right. Because it's so much more streamlined. But, have uh, you, you know, you can see how, go ahead. I was going to say, have you kept Womas too as well? I haven't. I've had some friends that kept them and it was always fun watching them get bit. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Eric <laughs> comes you know, over to my house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, and I don't want people to think like I'm, I'm down on walnuts because I think they're awesome. I think they're, I think they're beautiful. Um, you just have to, oh, yeah. you just have to be a little more careful when you pull them out of the cage. That's all. That's all. Yeah, I would agree. I have a pair. My female is chill. My male will bite first, ask questions later. And, and it's not an anger. It's like food. It's everything needs to be tested to see if it's food. And my female just started getting on the same page as him because now I guess they're both food crazed right now, running around looking for it. So, uh, yeah, it, it's because I, I, they, they're not as far on the level of uh, am I going to get big going into this cage as like my white lips, but I am now using the hook more than I was. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and that's something that my friends know about me is I actually, I hook everything out of my hmm. cages and and I do that specifically because the snakes um, are going to be nervous with this big hand coming in but a hook moving in is just they don't there's no heat signature it's just something that comes in and all of a sudden they're outside of the cage and uh, you know that way they can associate my hand with food if it comes into the cage or you know whatever because it's never my hand going in but right. I'll, I'll Take, I'll take Samboas out of the cage with a hook because it's easier to pick them up. You know, yeah. I, I know they're not going to bite, but it's just easier to pick them up and find them. And you know, they're not they're not striking at me thinking I'm food. It's just all of a sudden they're picked up by the spaceship. Yeah, I uh, I do the same thing. I hook everything. I'm just I don't know, just a good habit that um that I do. I don't know. It's just. I know yeah, Owen, he, he I, just I reaches in and grabs it, but, you know. I'm I like to live dangerously. <laughs> what do you want? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I said specifically, but I, I have, you know, in all honesty and full disclosure, um, I am genetically predisposed to jump when things strike at me. <laughs> um, I can't undo it. I have, I have tried and I've tried, and I've gotten to where an animal can strike and hit me once, and I go, ha, you didn't get me. And then he strikes a second time, and I totally jump. So Yeah. It's I improvement. Just, I just gave up. Yeah. Yeah. I just give up. Just, I just grab the hook and, and hook them out, and, you know, that way, if they strike me while I'm handling them when they're in my hand, I don't mind because, you know, that's just part of the game. But, right. you know, I don't have that. I don't have that genetically pre-programmed response to just go, yeah, and jump <laughs> yeah. back. 
I guess I'm getting older because I started doing stuff that makes it so it's easier for me to deal with them. Like I swapped out all my hide bin, hide like little tubs of like semicircles cut with like full boxes with holes so they can go in it. And if I need to clean, I can pull the whole box out and the snake just stays in the box. So, you know, I've started doing all that stuff. I attached a hose so I can fill up waters with the door open and just yeah. spray into the cage and not reach in with like a, you know, I don't know, a pitcher and water. So it's, it's gotten a lot easier and stuff of like that. I'm like, I don't know why I didn't do this years ago. So, you know, <laughs> fighting well, has diminished. Yeah. Um, and, you know, relatively speaking, I mean, I can say I have a small collection and say I've got, you know, 20 to 25 snakes. And then this group, I mean, with my friends are like 25 snakes. That's ridiculous. But, you know, when – I'm talking with you guys and the people that would listen to this podcast. They get it. 25 snakes is nothing. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, it's on that's a small a, side, yeah. An hour, yeah. That's an hour on a Saturday morning to change the water and see how everything's doing. And, you know, I can, every day I can do my daily check in about a minute and a half to see if everything's all right. Right. So, so um, let's see, where are we? I'm curious of uh, with the uh, feeding, um, how often are you feeding? Do you do any kind of cycle feeding, anything like that for these guys? So I'm one of those guys that um, also is a proponent of benign neglect where uh, (laughs) I I couldn't tell you the last time I fed my mail. It was probably two weeks ago. It may have been three Okay. Um, you know, I just, I kind of look at the snakes and it's like, oh yeah, I need to feed that one. And, you know, if they're looking, if they're looking a little on the thin side, then I, I, I do notice that. And so I'll throw in some, you know, I'll throw them an extra meal or, you know, a couple of larger meals, you know, and if we think about these guys out in the wild, they're not eating on any regular basis. Um, no. You know, they're, they're getting... Typically, they're getting a handful of small meals and then maybe one, you know, blockbuster meal that, you know, it's going to last them, you know, for months and months. Now, uh, I mean, I do that with my diamonds. I literally only feed the diamonds at the most once a month for about eight months and usually less often than that. Um, But the blackheads, uh, you know, every couple weeks. Okay. They start looking so, hungry. I mean, you know, you guys know this, and I, I, I'm assuming most people listening to this podcast, they can tell when their pet snake or their their snakes, their reptiles are getting hungry. They can see differences in how the snakes are posed or where they're hanging out. And if I start seeing the snakes hanging out in a certain part of the cage and they look like they're a little more attentive when I walk in the room, um, you know, I'll start uh, thinking about feeding them. But there's definitely no, there's no schedule other than the annual schedule, which I'm pretty good at. I stopped feeding in October. Okay. And um, I, I put the male and female together uh, about the end of October. The male is absolutely letting me know that he wants to go hang out with the female. And uh, I just leave them together. And then when it's, time to start warming things up, I separate them and start feeding them again. 
Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I know, I know, Owen, you have expressed some angst. I have. Concern. Yes. <laughs> that that the uh, the blackhead female or male will eat the other one. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm I've sure. had. I've had king snakes do it, and I'm like, nope, it, these are much bigger, and no. So that is my <laughs> angst, yeah. It's a terrifying thought. I can't say I know of anybody who has had that happen. It may have, uh-huh. you know, it, you never say never. Um, it certainly probably could. But uh, the blackheads, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they're communal in nature in the wintertime because that male, he is all over his cage. When he wants to be with his girl, he he does not stop moving. And I put him in the cage with the female, and he stops moving. He just curls up with her, and and they're content for about three months. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I I don't have any concern that uh, she's going to eat him or he's going to try and eat her. That being said, you know the heat's been turned off, so they've kind of or not turned off, but the the hours of the day that they have heat is much less. And, you know, they understand, oh, this is not, uh, this is not feeding time. This is, uh, this is pleasant time with my, with my favorite other snake. (laughs) And for years, I've, I've never seen any aggression from one to the other, but, you know, following that male's clues, um, he tells me when it's time to go down there into the cage with the female Mm-hmm. And he tells me when it's time to leave. Um, he starts becoming restless. He starts moving around the cage, her cage. Um, all the all the good times happen in the female cage. And, okay. Uh, you know, he starts moving around a bunch and looking restless, and I put him back up in the cage that's his designated spot. And uh, he he might get restless again up in his cage thinking, wait, I, I left my girl too soon, but, uh, right. You know, tough luck. You just got too bad. Just got three solid good months. Yeah. Now it's time to, to sit back and eat some food. So is when so, it comes to their breeding is like, do they have, cause, uh, when I bred my Cal Kings this year, my males definitely did a number on my girls. Um, they're definitely teeth, teeth marks raking, and then one of my females actually got a nice cut about the back of her head because of where the king snakes tend to bite and grab when they're breeding. Have you seen any huh. kind of stuff like that happen with the blackheads? Because I'm trying to get their, you know, is this just a rumor that they'll eat anything so we assume they'll eat each other? Or has this actually, like, is there, are they violent breeders or what? So. Um, I would say <laughs> they're very gentle lovers. Uh, <laughs> no, I have, not, I have not where seen, I was going, but whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I've, I've never seen any aggression um, from either male or female towards its mate um, in the cage. Like I said, I've, I've only got the single pair, and maybe they're just right. lifelong buddies. Um, but I've never seen any biting, any threat action any get out of my cage you pig kind of behavior it's it's always been you know uh tolerant and uh welcoming i guess would be the best way to put it okay um yeah i i don't fear putting them together i in fact it's kind of fun to see the male you know start getting excited to get down into that cage because they really 
they'll go into their hide box together, and you won't see them for a week. And so, uh, then they'll come out, and they'll sit under the heat for a little bit, and then disappear for a week again. And I, there's no scars. I've never seen any biting, any aggressive behavior whatsoever. Do you see the locks, or does the lock, do the locks all happen in the hide box under cover of darkness uh, or something like that? Oh, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll see them. Okay. You'll you'll see them lock up, you know. If you and if you open the box and see them, you know, quite quite often they'll be locked up. But it's not like uh, it's not violent, you know. It's not like it's not like other snakes that I have where I literally have had to tape mouth shut in case <laughs> the female <laughs> the female decided that the male was lunch. Um, right. You know, maybe sometime. Maybe sometime tonight we can talk about Moseranas. We're we're doing a pretty good job staying on point with the blackheads, so uh, Oh we'll deviate. We'll don't you worry. <laughs> so. oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, the uh the, the Moseranas are definitely the polar opposites. Um you know, the blackheads are very chill um when it comes to breeding. I, I just Owen, seriously, when you yep. get your blackheads don't worry no. about it. <laughs> don't. Turn. Just make sure the heat's down in the cages a little bit, and if the male starts getting antsy, put them together and just sit there and watch them for an hour. And if nothing happens, take just take them out and then introduce them for a couple hours, and you know, just stay nearby, read a book. Doug is dangerous, you know? all right, because Doug's listened to the show since the beginning, so he knows <laughs> that like by talking about it for a while. And then, like, putting yeah. the bug in my brain, it'll sure. eventually happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is dangerous. Well, you know, I, you know I'm not going to be, like, going, hey, you should buy them for me because uh, I'll just say right now, my female, uh, she didn't produce eggs last year. I, I gave her a couple years off. That's mm. kind of been my policy with those guys is even though uh, I put them together every year, um, you can control egg production fairly well. By how much you feed the female. Okay. So if you don't feed the female, if you don't feed her a whole ton um, ahead of time and get her her reserves all built up, she's not going to put effort into making eggs. And so I didn't really feed her a whole ton last year, so no eggs this year, which that's fine, you know. Yeah. No big deal. Right. Um, so so there's any number of guys out there who have had luck breeding uh, oh. blackheads. And I really, really want more people to get into them because they, they really yeah, are Eric cool got snakes. Them. Let's live vicariously through Eric for a little bit. I mean, come on. There you go. That's okay. <laughs> live vicariously through Eric. And, yeah. You know, Eric is Eric is happy. So we'll he and I do Eric's that. Happiness. You know, he and I do that a lot with our collections. I'm like, you know, I don't need to get inlands. Eric has inlands. And then it's like I ship it. So it's like, you know, it's that how, that's how a lot of it goes. So, yeah, you pick and choose. Like, oh. You pick yeah. and choose because then you know, you know that Owen has them. So I don't have to worry about securing a pair because eventually he'll breed them. And yeah. like the idea is, is that once he breeds them, then I'll have inlands that he'll want. And then, you know, we just trade them or whatever. Swap and do shit. Yeah, it's fine. It works out. Everybody gets yeah, to get like an Eric. Yeah, that's how it yeah. works. The advantage so, of that doing is a podcast. Totally, <laughs> totally healthy reptile bromance where you can, you know, <laughs> that's right. You can just head over to your buddy's house, 
and like I've got my buddy, he's got Poplin pythons. I yeah, I would love to have them, but you know what? I I don't have room. I don't have room for another no. pair of really big snakes that also eat other snakes. Um, <laughs> but you know, he has a pair of them, and he doesn't have blackheads. So if you know he wants to check out blackheads and you know stare in the cage, he can come over here. It's you know we're we're helping each other out. I don't know if it's enabling. Or, or what? Maybe we're uh, we're pushing each other more and more into the hobby. But uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's, cool. it's all good as long as you know you, you and, got somebody that can come over and uh, change the water when you're on vacation. Right, and these <laughs> friends are also not the ones to call when you're on the fence about purchasing an animal, because oh, they'll almost always up. be like, "Do it," <laughs> like, and then. <laughs> They're not helping. <laughs> I think uh, I think that that's a sense of Schadenfreude, a sense of uh, you know knowing that you're causing misery for somebody else, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, right. and getting joy from that. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Which so I guess what we're saying is, oh, let's just get the snakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If. If if I got through last year's Tinley without walking away with a pair of blackheads with those oh my gorgeous westerns that were like two tables away, I, yeah, I'm pretty good for now. I mean, dear God, you know, is Josh is got Tinley like ones. walking? It's like being a heroin junkie and just walking from pusher to pusher. Yeah, going in shows <laughs> like that, and the only thing that saves you is how much money you brought in your wallet. Yes. Um, you know, it's been a couple of years since I went to Tinley and if I had had $10,000, I would have spent $10,000. And, <laughs> and all I did, all I did was go there to, you know, say hi to people. And I'm like, Ooh, wow. Look at that. Ooh, look at that. Look at that. Yeah. I almost, <laughs> I almost ended up buying a couple of boa constrictors and cause you know, I want to be like Owen and have a bunch of boas. Hey, um, <laughs> don't start that again. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, oh. So, in Owen's defense, I, I think I, I'm pretty sure I have more boas than I do pythons or colubrids. So, um, it's all right. I, 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 am a fan, I am a fan of live bearers, Ugh. you know, not having to worry about eggs. I mean, hell, I, I have eggs in the incubator right now. I've looked at them twice today. Live bearers. It's like, ah, it's probably going to pop in August. You can look <laughs> at them all you want, you know, but it's, it, it's just, it's not the same. Looking at eggs, you know, they indent a little bit. And you're like, oh, they're going to hatch. And then you end yeah. up waiting, you know, another three weeks. I'm at that right weeks. now. <laughs> yeah, twice a day? Are you doing twice a day or three times not a day? Yet, not yet, not yet. They're due very, very soon, and they're very dented. So I'll probably start the twice a day um Probably tomorrow. I'll probably check in the morning and then when I get home. So, um, but speaking of <laughs> eggs, how do you set eggs. up the blackhead eggs? You don't, obviously you don't do you don't keep them with her. Uh, so I have one interesting story. It's funny you go say ahead. that, and I'll uh, and I'll just go ahead and, and tell this story. Um, I uh, I'm a rock climber. That's my that's actually my main hobby. I do that as as much as I can, and I've been to Australia on a couple of climbing trips. Nice. I, ironically, on one of my climbing trips, 
uh, one of my buddies sends me an email. He's like, hey, Doug, your blackhead female just dropped a bunch of eggs. <laughs> and or, no, actually, he didn't say just did. He said she laid eggs, and I didn't know. And I didn't even know she was gravid, um, which is kind of the bummer about it all because, you know, I had at the time I had plenty of resources and buddies that easily could have taken the eggs, put them in the incubator, no problem. Um, so that was my one attempt at maternal incubation. Um, but, you know, sadly, it was just it was too much for the eggs. They were all fertile, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. because she, she tends to throw fertile eggs. But the eggs are pretty simple. Um, you know, I, I would just say keep them the same as you keep your uh, carpet eggs. You know, uh, upper 80s on whatever medium you prefer. I usually use vermiculite or some of that rapashi um, mm-hmm. incubation medium. And uh, a buddy of mine from from the way back, from the pre-internet days, you know, he he scored me a professional incubator. Um, it was surplus from the University of Washington, and he got this thing for a hundred bucks. And this incubator has a minimum temperature, maximum temperature, and if I had had like oxygen and CO2 tanks, I could have kept, you know, the O2 and CO2 levels controlled, and Jeez. it's stainless steel and waterproof. It's an amazing piece of machinery. That's a scientific and incubator he, right there. That is, yeah. It abso- absolutely. It absolutely was a scientific incubator from, you know, the 1980s, and they upgraded, and so they surplused it, and he got it for me for 100 bucks. And so I just keep nice. – I keep <laughs> – yeah, it's pretty nice. Well, there's, there's good and bad when you keep pythons and you keep uh, colubrids that lay eggs, and the pythons incubate in the upper 80s and the colubrids incubate in the upper 70s. Something's mm-hmm. got to get. And so fortunately this year, uh, no python eggs. And I'm going to probably give the colubrids next year off and aim for python eggs. So, um, but I, you know, just your the same way you keep carpet python eggs. Um, don't let them get wet. Um, okay. That will kill them. Um, just your uh, your standard humidity that uh, we all use uh, when we breed our pythons. It seems to work just fine. But now babies. Oh yeah. Ah. Um. Now, I know I said that they eat everything, but they don't do that to start. And <laughs> uh, they're definitely the most problematic species I've ever had to get feeding. Okay. Um, to, to the point that I would say at least 10%, maybe 20% of the babies that hatch full term and are otherwise healthy just fail to thrive. They just never, never take to feeding. Um, you know, no matter what I try, assist feeding or, or whatever, they just, they just never seem to buy into it. And I've never been able to figure out quite what that is. There's other people out there with ideas. Um, you know, some people have said, and I kind of buy into this, that the babies, they're, they're born with these giant bellies filled with yolk. It it Mm -hmm. looks like they just ate a huge meal and that they need months and months to, to kind of burn that off and exercise a bit. And so next time I get babies, that's going to be what I'm going to try. 
instead of keeping them in nice, you know, tight quarters that are covered up in dark, I'm going to, I'm going to give them a little more space to run around and see if that helps. But I've, I've had to assist feed. Um, uh, Nick Mutton lives not too far away and he comes out to carpet fest and I usually beg him to bring me a bag full of stillborns because those are perfect for a lot of this or a couple of the snakes that I keep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, uh, a, a dead baby snake is a perfectly shaped meal to assist feed a blackhead. Um, but I'll tell you, it's like a flip or a switch gets flipped. Uh, after a few assist feeds, if they, when they're going to be the ones that eat, they eat. And, and you see that and you're like, yes, I'm done. Now they will just <laughs> eat on their own. The work is over except for scraping turds out of the cage. Yep. Right. Huh. So. Okay. Um, so basically, uh, stillborn, uh, stillborn snakes is the best way to uh, <laughs> to get them going. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I haven't tried live snakes. Um, you know, obviously that's what they would get in the wild or live lizards. Um, guys that live in the, uh, you know, in the desert Southwest where they have access to, what are those, uh, invasive lizards, the house, house skate oh, or house. Yeah. Or, yeah, I think, yeah. I think those guys, you know, <laughs> I think they'll have better luck getting blackheads feeding than I will, because they're going to be able to, you know, offer something, you know, that's moving and running. I don't know. I guess it always, it always runs the risk of, you know, possible um, parasites and troubles with that. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what the perfect medium is. You know, do you stress your snake by shoving food down its throat or do you not stress it, let it kill and consume, um, you know, some live prey that may have parasites? I, I don't know the perfect answer. I, I don't think there is a perfect answer, you know, right. with what you're comfortable with. You know, yeah. just, just enjoy them and try and get them feeding. I, I would say I probably have around, you know, if the, if the egg has a live or it's a fertile egg and it hatches out, I'd say I'm probably at about 60% survival, which I don't think is great. Um, so I'm, I'm more than willing to learn, you know. Somebody's got information out there. We've heard conflicting stuff because, I mean, obviously, you know, we I think we talked to Derek and we talked to a few other people who were like, baby hatches, force feed, like, like start doing that immediately. And then we've also heard from other guys that said they don't really do it. They kind of just feed and whoever catches on, catches on, whoever doesn't, doesn't. Um, it's kind of a big toss-up with these guys about – uh, where to go, and I'm kind of hopeful. Like you were talking about the golden age for reptile keeping, and, and another thing you kind of didn't touch on because we touched on cages and like thermostats is uh, food options. Is now we're getting into the whole like ground up frogs in a sausage. Maybe that'll help get more blackheads yeah. rolling in the right direction. It's something else now, or maybe we'll start getting more or closer and closer to what they would naturally take. So. Absolutely. If, if Reptilinx is the uh, solution to getting baby blackheads to feed, uh, I'll buy stock because, you know, that's, uh, 
any anything that's going to help out, you know, to get these guys feeding more reliably, I'm I'm more than more than happy to do. You know, that guys have been keeping and breeding them here in the states for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't I can't be the only guy that has trouble getting the babies to feed. Right. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe I am. Maybe it's just like, yeah, Doug's an idiot. But, Nobody uh, told Doug to do this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, are you standing on one leg and patting your head while you assist feed the snake? Uh, I'm works. sure that will help. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, that maybe this is the golden age of black-headed pythons. You know, maybe that's, that's it. Somebody's going to say, hey, I figured it out. And, you know, in a couple of years, we'll start working with uh, – you know, actual different morphs and stuff like that, which would be kind of cool. Speaking of, have you seen that uh, black-backed one that Derek has? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. Me I too. I am a fan. That's the one um, I was talking about at the beginning of the show, about uh, the one that I wanted to get from Derek, but I know it's going to cost me Bolin's Python price tag. Money. So yeah. <laughs> I, I wait. <laughs> Need to move some carpets. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I got to sell yes, some snakes. Yes, will. Yep. So. But you know, I, you you gotta you gotta go after. I mean, make a list of that those dream snakes that you want and and go for it, man. Like I've heard you guys say, you know, just just get that jar and you know, put in an overshift, overtime shift every couple of weeks, and the money that comes from that, just put it in the jar, because you know how much that snake's going to cost, yeah, and yeah. you know you want it, and you know yeah. it doesn't fill a cage any bigger than your the snakes that you have, and you know it doesn't cost more to feed than the snakes that you have. Uh, it's just your initial outlay, so just go for it. I'm going to have to start yeah, Ubering that's, people. That's, <laughs> like Part time you have time to do that. Yeah, I, right. <laughs> I say, say overtime shift, but uh, you know, you've you've hinted here and there about uh, your work schedule, and it's, it oh, doesn't sound yeah. like there's a ton of extra. And the last yeah. time I <laughs> so, followed you in your truck, you did it on three wheels. So I'm not sure if Uber would let you <laughs> yeah. be a driver. Okay, I mean, come on now. That, that's a good point. So. Fantastic. Cool. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, any other, uh, I mean, Tips there's other tricks. species. Yeah. Anything else that you want to share as far as the blackheads? I want to talk some Muserana, some Diamond, some Yeah, Bowen. we're stuck into those. <laughs> I want to jump all around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we can jump all around. Um, honestly, if you... Get into blackheads. Um, they're just—they are cool snakes, and they're—and they're resilient, and you know they can tolerate your screw ups a bit. They're kind of big. I don't know. I got kind of I—I I got eastern type. Just remember, you can't anyone who says western or eastern, you know, um, I'm kind of a, I'm a Nick Mutton type in this, and that if there's not provenance. You can't claim Western or Eastern. You can say right. you can say Western type or Eastern type, right? Um, because unless you have proof that your animals came into the United States or left Australia in the uh, 
what, 1970s, um, the original source was smuggled, and it just it came from wherever it came from. Sure. And so, you know, the blackheads that I have, um, I would call them Eastern type. They're they're big, robust. Females probably pushing nine feet. The males probably pushing eight feet. Um, and that's just a fun size animal if it's not like, you know, Burmese python thickness, which, you know, it's it's not a struggle to work with a nine-foot blackhead python. Um, you know, their their movements are deliberate. They know what they want to do. Uh, they tend to not be – they'll be cage-aggressive. Get them out of the cage. They're, they're fun to look at. I mean, you can tell when they're hungry because they'll stick their head straight up. Um, and I don't know any other snake that does that, but they literally just stick their head straight up in the air. And it's like, oh. I guess they're getting hungry. Um, and if you know anybody who has blackheads, you ever seen your snakes stick their heads straight up in the air? And they're like, yeah. And it's like, no, that's probably because they're hungry. Hmm, and gotcha. there's probably, you know, I don't know, you know, the evolutionary story behind that blackhead, but I'm assuming that, uh, you know, it probably looks like a shadow next to a tree if, if that head is just sticking straight up in the air. Yeah. Right. And uh you know, easy for some lizard or or uh marsupial to just wander along thinking that life is fine and all of a sudden he's uh he's the next meal. Mm. So if you're interested in blackheads, man, check them out. Go get them. You know, let's let's make this blackhead uh keeping group huge. It's spread it across the nation <laughs> because they're really, really cool animals. You know, I, I'm I'm an old school herper in that I have never kept a whole bunch of one species. Um, you know, I've always kept a, a variety of stuff. And you know, the blackheads are you know they're in my top five of of reptiles I've ever kept. And so, really? I've kept some cool stuff. <laughs> I've kept <laughs> some really cool stuff. And 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 the blackheads are they're up there. Um, like I've kept eastern indigos and. You know, I've got some Mussaranas and Diamonds and Bolans and and Madagascar tree boas and ground boas. And, yeah, I would put the blackheads in the top, you know, they're in the top five. Wow. Okay. So. Jesus. Yeah. Get them. Get them and keep them. You'll like them. <laughs> Absolutely. Here I am. I'm like, I'm like selling these snakes and I don't even have any. It's like, just get them. <laughs> 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 just get them. You know, add some diversity to your group. If you find yourself keeping too many of any certain species, just add some diversity and, you know, keep, keep a pair of blackheads. And, and you, you will thank me. <laughs> that's really dangerous. You know, and that's because I'm, I'm the diverse guy. Like, you know, Eric's got a oh, yeah, ton sure, of garbage. And some of something. I have, I have Simpsons, Children's, Pygmies, Walmas, uh, a lot of Morelia. Awesome. A lot of Morelia. Come on, Morelia. You're fired. I mean, come on. If you don't know the difference between Morelia Uh, and. uh, I, I can now count myself in that select group of guests that have made the hosts shout at each other. Of course. That's a good, that's a good, it's signs of a good Uh, show. It's a sign of a show. We are screaming at each other. Yeah. 
<laughs> I wonder. Awesome. I wonder all the time. Sometimes I like people, to say things to set them off. So I wonder all the time why people think like uh, all I have is carpets, and now I know why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's like how people see you, and they're like you're 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 taller. I'm like it's that thing all over again. <laughs> Years of grinding this yeah. idea into people's heads. So yeah, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, Eric. He doesn't. He doesn't keep anything. He doesn't shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh wait, uh, Angolan scrubs, chondros. Those are just bumpy ball pythons. We've been over that. I don't ball count pythons. That. <laughs> um, I don't count them either. So uh, I. That's funny. I can't say I have literally never kept a ball python that wasn't already frozen. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that's, that's you know, awesome. people are going to think I'm dogging on ball pythons. Ball pythons are awesome, and they come in so many amazing colors. And if that's if that's what floats your boat, man, rocket. That's that's awesome. Um, yeah. But you know, it's it's like, you know, for me, I was, I've I've kept king snakes before, and then you know they're cool. They don't float, but they don't float my boat, so I don't have any. And it's the same with ball pythons. We all just have what we like. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I, I literally, the honest truth, with as many ball pythons are produced every year, I've literally never owned one that was alive. Um, hmm. I've only had one that was, uh, it, was it was a feeder. We'll just leave it at that. Gotcha. Well, happens. <clears throat> so uh, let's see. I think we've, uh, I think we've covered the blackheads. Um, yeah. What do we want to talk about next? I got all night. I know that I know we'll get cut off before. We're clearly going to get cut off before we get too deep into any other species. So, right. You know, that's all good. Well, Maybe we can, uh, least, we can at least touch on them. I mean, I know, I know Eric sure. wants to do Museranans, and you know, I want to talk about Baron's racers because you know. Well, let's hit that first. Okay. Yeah, you probably want to do. The, you probably want the blue ones. I've been listening to the show. Yeah. I heard you talk about. Yeah. And then yeah. Rob Stone yelled at me because he said I was going to die because he doesn't trust <laughs> me around mere fang venomous anything. So, you know. So, I mean, Rob might know you better than I do. I, I only know you as that guy, as, as a voice, you know, in my iPhone when I listen to podcasts. That's um, yeah, pretty good. You know, listening, <laughs> listening to what I hear, I would say if you want to keep Barron's racers and you're concerned about the bite, Wear a pair of gloves and a sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're done. There you go. Um, yeah. It's not like they have big, long fangs. Um, I've never been bit. They seem to have a clue. Uh, that being said, I don't, I don't handle them like I would, like, say, the blackheads. Or I'll literally, you know, I'll take the blackheads out or the mousseranas out and just literally just kind of carry them around for a bit. I don't mm-hmm. do that with the, the Barons Racers because they're, they're kind of flighty. But, mm-hmm. man, they have the... They have the coolest visual orientation. I don't, I don't know of any other um, snake that's available in the hobby that's as visually oriented as the Barons. A, a buddy of mine, <clears throat> former friend of mine, he's, he moved away a few years back, but he had them. And I'd go to his house, and I'd hold my hand up, and he had a male and female in the same cage, and they would zero in on my hand. They'd look at it, and I'd move my hand to the other side of the cage, or the other side of the glass, and they'd follow my hand. I'd go back and forth. And it literally, it, it looked like, you know, people watching Wimbledon 
watching the ball go back and forth. They would just watch my hands go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, you know, they're, they're really, really, really fast. Um, right. And, you know, they have that physical resemblance to the rhino rats. Yes. Um, I've never kept rhino rats, but rhino rats seem much more calm um, they don't seem as visually oriented. Um, I don't know if they're as fast. Um, you know, they call them racers for a reason. Um, but you know, that being said, they're not they're not necessarily freaked out. You know, when you when you come in the room, they they think you're food or they think you're going to bring them food, so they tend to get mm-hmm. excited. And you know, you they they are. Stupid easy. Keep them like a king snake with a bigger cage. Um, you know, I kept my female in a five foot long by two foot or by one and a half foot cage, and the male in a smaller cage. Uh, my female was actually able to eat um, adult rats, large rats. No and, way. Uh, yeah, dude. They're they'll eat large rats. Ah, uh, they get huge. <laughs> oh, and when you see that skinny little neck that they have and to imagine a a large rat going down that it's uh it's kind of mind-blowing but pretty easily consume those giant meals um and uh you know they're not they're not tough to breed you know i didn't i didn't do anything special with mine i've got uh you know i have a uh had a, a couple of greens um, after the female dropped the eggs. Uh, I sold them to a guy that's doing some interesting scientific studies on, okay. on venom and such. So, uh, so they got moved down the road. I have a friend, uh, one of my local buddies has, has a turquoise blue female and uh, I'm, I may be uh, acquiring that. He and I are going to have to, he and I are going to do some business. There was a pair of blues at one of the snake shows in the area a couple snake shows ago, and it was one of those, like, I'm vending the show, so I said, hey, yeah, halfway through the day, I'm going to do my walk around, and I, like, blew past them, and I ended up, like, screeching to a halt and turning around and being, like, <laughs> up against the tank that they're in, and they were two young ones, and they were the, uh, the they were the gorgeous, and they were the blues, and I was, like, I think I had rounded the show, like, five times, I like immediately went back to my table and tried to sell everything. So, you know, it was one of those instances. So one of those that I might they're regret blue. later, but, oh, God, they were gorgeous. Ah, you're not going to regret it because there's people that keep reading them. Um, yeah. But they're blue. It's Yes. You know, people talk about various different snakes that kind of have blue hues to them. And, and you know, it's always pretty in that. But these these guys are like powder blue. And turquoise yes. blue. It's, it's, it's a blue snake and that's just not something you see so uh um i was actually part of the uh uh original importation of a bunch of those guys way back i I made friends with a guy in uruguay and and brought in a handful of them um so cool yeah and so i i got to i got to see them early on in the hobby and i'm glad to see you know that there's enough there's enough interest in them to you know create a sustainable population i don't 
I don't think there's ever going to be any issues with importing them because they're not rare where they're from. But, uh, you know, the blues, blues are where it's at. The blues you know, are definitely where it's at. And you know, they get the black on the spine, and it's freaking awesome. So They're, what do you call it, polymorphic. They, they come in all sorts of colors. Um, oh. You know, there's blue ones. There's one with black. Um, one of the first female that I ever had years ago, I sold it to a buddy down in California. And he wrote me back a couple months later and said, hey, Doug, you know, this female turned jet black. Oh. <laughs> it went from Damn it. It went from being a green snake to a black snake. And then it changed back after, uh, I think it was probably trying to, you know, absorb some heat or something more efficiently. And he was keeping them in a cool, I knew his house was really cool. So, you know, maybe they respond to temperatures. I don't know. I just know that, uh, you know, they're pretty interesting snakes to keep. I would definitely recommend having them in a, in a taller cage so you right. can you can watch them move around because they they like to move around they they won't just sit there in a coil and wait for a meal you know they're going to be crawling around and uh you know like my my female that i had recently i'd walk in the room and she'd come over and look at me and if i opened her cage she'd kind of start pulling back and if i didn't throw food in within the first few seconds she'd crawl away so, you know, some some level of recognizing my my existence in her life. Um, uh, this is dangerous. Again, Doug, you're not allowed to eh. come back on the show because, like, uh, you're already getting me to spend, like, four grand is what we're going to end up I doing. This is ridiculous. So. I haven't even talked most Serana's yet. Oh, <laughs> God. So I'm, I'm – I'm going to jump away from the Barons. I want to talk about the Moseranas. And I know right. you've had John Michaels on the show before. Um, yeah. And John, John's a great guy, and he's been producing them for a few years. And, uh, you know, I can't speak highly enough of him. Um, but uh, so the thing that turned me on to Moseranas was I was on a Green Tracks trip to South America. Are you guys familiar with Green Tracks, the eco-tour company? No. no. So, um, essentially, it's it's one of those companies that puts on tours down in the Amazon, and you go down there and you live, you live on a boat, um, you know, and it's fairly fairly comfortable living. And two or three times a day, uh, the herpetologist in charge or one of his assistants takes you on hikes into the jungle, and you just look for what you can find. You know, animals or, you know, birds, mammals. You know, this our group was looking for reptiles. And uh, so Bill Lamar, if some of the listeners might know who this guy is. He's a pretty well-known um, herpetologist with who specializes in South American species. And he was in charge of our group. And he was with another herpetologist earlier on in his career, and they uh, – were out there doing surveys and studies, and they captured a yellowtail crebo. And he didn't tell me the size. It's kind of irrelevant. Um, but they captured one. They had it in a bag. And then they later on that day, they captured a musarana. And, uh, you know, they do whatever measurements they do. And, and the one guy says to the other, you want to see something cool? And he's like, Sure. They dropped the Moosarana into the bag with the yellowtail Kribo, 
and and yellowtail kribos are not wimpy snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're big, strong, tough, fast animals. And this musarana just it hit the kribo, and he said you could hear it was either the ribs cracking or the vertebrae separating as it coiled around that snake. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of cool hyperbole. I, you know, I didn't necessarily buy it. And, but, you know, the story intrigued me enough that I, you know, started looking on price lists and stuff. And I, I was able to score um, a couple of the first imports into the U.S. that were put on a price list um, by Glaze Herp. And uh, I got myself a pair. And eventually, you know, they got big enough. Somebody said, hey, Doug, I've got these corn snakes. My son doesn't like snakes anymore. And I explained to him, I don't keep corn snakes. Um, they will become food. And he's like, that's fine. And, you know, that's just kind of the way of life. Animals eat animals. Mm-hmm. I, I, I put the corn snake in with the musarana. And it was terrifying. <laughs> and I am just happy they don't get like 12 feet long because they would kill people. Um, thing, because they're rear fanged. And the venom doesn't really seem to have a ton of effect on people. You know, take it seriously, but don't be, you know, don't be stupid. You'll be fine. Um, right. But this snake, first thing it did is it hit, hit the other snake and it coiled around the other snake and it used its entire body. And it was still trying to coil after it had used its entire body to find more snake to coil around. So it looked like the, the feeder snake had a, a spring just like it had been shoved into a, a super tight spring. So it's constricting this thing with this crazy strength. Um, they're so strong. Um, pound for pound, strongest snake I know of, uh, bar none. So <laughs> it's, it's got this snake in these crazy coils, and because they're rear fanged, it's, it's envenomating it. It's chewing on it. And then... Right as it's kind of taking control of the corn snake, it grabs its head and it starts to pull on the head. And I've never seen this before. It was mind blowing. He was, he was transmitting the coils into the corn snake as it pulled its head out. So it was twisting the other snake's head. So it was constricting it. It was animating it. And it was, doing the cervical dislocation. It was wow. holding its, it was, it was trying to break its neck. Whoa. Musarana <laughs> <is> gruesome. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> and so, you know, I, 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 I take them seriously, but just the fact that they are, um, they are the most badass snakes pound for pound that I've ever worked with. Bar none. Um, if they got as big as like indigo snake, uh, you know, Godzilla versus Rodan, indigo snake versus Musarana, if they're the same size, uh, the Musarana is going to kill the indigo. Really? <laughs> it's just that wow. simple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're just, they are designed to eat snakes. They're designed to eat other snakes. And so they, they behave that way. And the species that uh, is common in the U.S. is, not the Clelia Clelia that you see um, that's, that's your standard Musarana. 
the one that we have in this country uh, in the pet trade is the uh, Boiruna maculata, which uh, they're a little bit more opportunistic. Um, they live in more temperate areas, but the, <laughs> the behavior is the same, man. They will, they are crazy feeders. I don't, I don't mess with mine at night. Once the lights go down, right. their cage stays. Their cage stays closed. Um, <laughs> I have three rules. One is I wash my hands before I touch any of the most raws. I can't smell like food. Right. I only open the cage during the daytime, and uh, I hook them out. And so, don't smell like food. Don't right. approach them during their feeding hours, and you know, don't stick your hand inside their little hidey hole. Um, right. Because they t- they tend to be uh, strike first, ask questions later. Oh. Um, but if you you know you follow those, those rules, I've never been bit. I've never been bit by them. Um, I've had friends get bit, and I've seen on the internet a guy that uh, he got bit by one because. He smelled like a rat, and it was nighttime, and he reached into the cage. He, he basically exactly broke course. every one yeah. of my rules. And um, there was definitely some severe swelling in his hands. It, I think he uh, let it chew on him for about five minutes. You know, you let a hognose snake chew on you for five minutes, you're going to get trouble. Yeah, bad um, reaction, yeah. So, huh. you know, they are they're they're really cool snakes as far as – the colubrids go, um, you know, the medium, large size colubrids, they're absolutely my favorite. And what's been kind of fun is I've got to work with David Bobius down in Uruguay, who's been breeding them for years. And, you know, in the snake world, we don't, we don't really know of David Bobius, but he's kind of a rock star in the uh, turtle world. Um, probably the premier breeder of, uh, turtles from South America. And uh, and he considers Museranas honorary turtles, and so he keeps and breeds them. And uh, he found a population of piebald Museranas, and you know he he could tell me where, but I wouldn't I wouldn't know. I don't know Uruguay or Paraguay or wherever it's from. Right. And uh, so I was able to to get in on some of the early imports of the uh, the piebalds. And so just a really cool black and white snake where no two snakes have the same patterning. And, you know, if you breed piebald to piebald, you get the, the high white. And I'm doing a little line, line breeding experiment where I bred a super to super. I know that's not it, – it's the words that I use. You know, there's that incomplete dominance and, and – so forth, and I'm not going to pretend to understand the genetics, but uh, mm. you know, you breed high white to high white, and you get a whole bunch of high whites. But then every once in a while in that group, you get one that's starting to get more black on it, and the black is in a uh, it's a pepper stripe down the back. And so I held I held the best looking one of those that I bred from a couple of years ago, and I'm going to breed him up and or raise him up, breed him to you know, back to the female and see if I, see if I start getting stripes or see if it just starts turning into, you know, whatever. But, uh, right. and they're, they hatching, hard? they're hatching right now. Go ahead. Are they hard to, are they hard to breed? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> now 
Owen is concerned about blackheads eating each other. Yeah. And now I'm even more <laughs> concerned about Muserana eating anything. So <laughs> they uh, Museranas have similar dietary preferences to blackheads. They'll eat anything that uh, they can swallow. Um, and if the female is not ready um, to breed, she'll see the male as food, and yeah, uh, she'll just eat him. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> I, Ooh, I, I actually had that, to reach right? in. <laughs> yeah, like you put them in, and the thing is, there's no, there's no wasted time. They just, they just go right, <laughs> they go right at it. If they're going to breed, they go right at it. It's actually, it's. Um, I, I know you said we can swear and everything, and I'm going to try and not make things too explicit, but uh, <laughs> they are the, they are the porn stars of the snake world. I literally, I put a male and female together, and I heard a lap and I looked and they were locked. It was <laughs> it was like he pole vaulted at her <laughs> and just landed, bam. And uh you know, but it happens pretty quick. If you if they're gonna breed, they're gonna breed pretty quickly. So you just sit there for ten minutes if you see nothing. If they're not acting like they're gonna breed, just take the male back out. Um I know guys that have left them together and not had too many problems and then after a couple of months the female uh, ate the male. So, no. um, you know, it's the, the bigger of the two will eat the smaller of the two. Um, so, you know, my rule with him has always been put them together and sit there for 10 or 15 minutes. And if they start breeding, come back in a couple hours and take the male out. And if they don't start breeding, take the male out. So it's actually, it's, it's pretty simple. Because it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. They, mm-hmm. they're, they're interested in reproduction, um, very much so. And I've had them, I've actually had them triple clutch, you know, like produce 12 yeah, eggs and then three. 10 eggs and then 9 eggs. Um, but that seems like a really good way to burn out your females. Um, yeah. You know, I'm trying to avoid doing that anymore. So females drop their eggs and I'll give them a smaller meal with a bunch of calcium supplementation on it and, and try and just, you know, keep them from dropping more eggs. But, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty easy to get going to get to reproduce and they're, they don't get giant, but you know, I have a, I have a female that's about, she's probably six feet long. So, you know, comparable to like a really big king snake or something as far as size goes. They're yeah. Cool animals. Um, so there, there's, there's most serranas. What else wow. can we talk about? I can, we can keep talking about reptiles all night. <laughs> Tell bolins. us, uh, that's, yeah, let's talk about your bolins. Uh, I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of listeners oh. out there that would want to hear about them. Okay. So, um, the bowl, um, those who have known me for a long time know that, I I will go to great lengths to get the reptiles that I want to get. And uh, I told my wife I wanted Boland's pythons, so let's go to Indonesia. And let's do some networking with the exporters. And, you know, this was, you know, well over a decade ago. And went to Bali and got a hold of, of uh, a couple of exporters there and, you know, let them know I was serious. I, I want Boland's pythons. And there wasn't. They didn't really have people going there at the time saying, you know, sell, sell me these snakes that you're getting. And so uh, 
I paid, what, 2500 for a pair of babies, which I think that would be a hell of a steal nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and what's interesting is I've had people tell me that uh, babies are tough to get going with the Bolins. Um, and all I did, I fed them um, frozen thawed fuzzies with some egg yolk. And they went crazy for that. Um, like literally they were, they were mouthing. I, I put the, the fuzzy on a plate with the egg yolk and everything and, you know, just put that in the cage and they had their mouth and they were scraping their mouth on the plate because it still smelled like egg yolk and fuzzy mouth. And uh, so I never had trouble raising them up. Um, at one point, one of the females just stopped. She started refusing um, rodents. Mm. And so I, uh, after, I don't know how many months, but I basically, uh, I talked to uh, Cameron and basically said, hey, would you be interested in buying this female? I'd like to buy a different one. I'm having trouble. I don't have access to whatever it is she wants. And you do. And so we made a, you know, a, bit of a trade that was advantageous to him and advantageous to me because I got a, a female that was a little more amenable to eating what I had. Um, but then she started refusing. And then one day I offered a guinea pig and it was like, Oh, I like eating again. And hmm. she started eating. Um, you know, they got up to about 10 feet long. Uh, really cool species. They really tolerate cold temperatures, um, you know, I was kind of shooting at the hip, kind of guessing at what they would need and what they would like, and I'd put them together, and they'd breed, and, you know, that was never a problem, um, <laughs> and she'd look like she was ovulating, I'm like, all right, going to get eggs this year, nothing, then the next year, she looked like she's ovulating, and I tried tweaking something a little bit one way or another, and nothing, and then, uh, Finally, uh, one year I I actually did get eggs from her. Um, I got four what looked like good eggs at, at the start, and then four slugs. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So we candled them, and and they were all infertile, or they looked like they might be okay. Put them in the incubator, and got nothing out of them. So, and the sad thing, man, ah, the uh, the female got sick. She had this, you know. She had this weird adhesion, or her, her uh, esophagus adhesed to whatever tissues are uh, ventral to that. Yeah. And and I fed her a meal, and it kind of apparently burst her esophagus or something, and she just got septic, and and it was it was terrible. She died, and that was like that was that absolutely sucks. my my lowest darkest moment in in keeping reptiles. It it took me a couple of months. Of, to be able to go into the reptile room and be excited about it again. Um, because, you know, like I'd literally flown halfway around the world to meet people to have the chance to buy the right. snakes. And I get these, and I finally get them and I raise them up and, you know, kind of tweaking things here and there um, and finally get eggs. And it's like, okay, I finally figured something out. And then she died. <laughs> wow. And so, uh, Jesus. yeah, but I, 
I am actually positive on on Bolands. I think uh, I think this golden age of reptiles, where we're able to get caging and we're able to get you know legitimate UV producing light bulbs that produce heat and you know UVA and B and and uh, you know people are keeping them able to keep their cages cool, but uh, you know give them good hot spot to or bright hot spot to bask under and I'm. I'm bullish on uh, the future of Bolands. I think uh, I think there's guys out there that are going to start producing babies, and I think once we start getting, you know, full real meal deal, captive born and bred babies, um, I think it's going to be off to the races. And and when we do, when they start breeding them more often, I'm I'm going to buy more of them and have them again. Right. Because absolutely. Um, you know, you know, I talk about the blackheads being in the top five, and they're also in the top five. I loved interacting with them. I loved having people over, and I could take out, I could take out the male Bolands, who was just a friendly beast, and just like somebody who'd never held a snake, I'd just turn around and put it over their shoulders. Yeah. And no, they'd be fine because that's he was, awesome. Yeah, he was not interested in hurting people or biting or being defensive. It's like, oh, I'm out of the cage. Cool. Let's go say hi to people. And he just right. all around. And they're so beautiful. That black and white lightning stripe, you know, pattern that they have on their sides. And uh, so, Eric, I think you'll appreciate this because, uh, like I said, I've been listening to the podcast forever, and I think I remember you saying that I don't think I know. I remember you saying that you kind of liked, you know, the pattern and look of diamonds more than Bolands. And mm-hmm. I remember I was literally listening to the podcast with you saying that, being in uh-huh. my snake room and going, I am, I am such a fortunate, lucky man because I'm literally able to stand in one spot and I can. I don't even have to turn my head. I just look my eyes look to the left, look my eyes to the right. <laughs> and I can, I can come and I can come to my own opinion. And uh you know, and my opinion is what it is. Um but I just it was just a really it was a cool experience to be able to have both of those animals and be able to say or be able to make that comparison for myself. Right. You know. All in real time. Not not but, so many uh, people can do that. <laughs> yeah, and and you know what I? But like I said, I'm I'm bullish on the future of bull, and I, I think I think guys are I think they're going to get it done. I don't think it's altitude. Um, I do think there's something to keeping them in one kind of cage. You know, once they reach adulthood. And just leaving them in that cage and not moving them around. Um, and just, you know, people will figure out when to introduce them and they're going to figure out. Uh, I, I doubt the eggs are any more difficult than regular carpet eggs. I mean, getting yeah, eggs to hatch doesn't seem to be a big problem with the bigger snakes. No, I think it's more along the lines of just getting the eggs. That's the hardest part. The two parts, getting them to breed seems. From what I've seen, it seems to be relatively straightforward, and uh, getting uh, getting you know the eggs to hatches is somewhat simple. But in between, 
<laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> it's, it's yep. It's getting those eggs, um, getting fertile eggs. Um, I think it's I think it's going to start happening because I think that um, this is. I think it's actually even maybe a byproduct of your show where people are realizing, hey, this is fun talking about these snakes. It's fun talking with other people about these snakes. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Keeping keeping Bull and I and being secretive about how I keep them and what I do, well, that's, that's not getting me anywhere. Right. And uh, it seems like, you know, like the roundtables you've had and, and the interactions that I've had with other breeders, I think they're kind of supporting each other and they're bouncing ideas off each other. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that Frederick isn't the only one that's going to be consistent in producing them. I, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like it's going to happen. It's going to start happening here in the U.S. First yeah. we'll get one guy and then there'll be two and, and then the secret will be out. Yeah. I think the, uh, the, the next guy to do it is probably going to be Keith. That would Keith McPeak, I think. Uh, yeah. I'm in, I'm in his corner, <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm cheering for him, too, man. I, he's got, uh, I don't know how many he has. I think he has six. Yeah. But, you know, he's, he's being smart about it. He's focusing mostly on them and, and not uh, too much on other stuff, which I know I said don't do earlier in the podcast, but, you know, you've been keeping snakes for 30 years. You've kind of fine-tuned what you want to work yeah. with at that point. So. yeah. You know, <laughs> you get a pass. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, I, I got to say, though, uh, one thing that we haven't done is I haven't heard a single question in the uh, voice of Christopher Walken. Nah, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, hurry up, Eric. Come on. Yeah, I know, right? So, I'm running out of time. <laughs> all right. It's so think, time, think about baby. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh well, that's that's okay. Uh, next Doug, time we you talk, gotta, I'm gonna. You got to come to Tinley, and you got to buy him drinks, and then he will not shut up in the <laughs> walking or Viper Keeper for hours. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, let's share a little Viper Keeper. Now I. I no, take that back. Not. You know, occasionally I do my own little voices, and it's got to just come from the soul. You can't, yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't just pull that stuff out on demand. Um, so let's see. Oh, I got a, I got a fun story. You guys will appreciate this because this is Morelia specific. So back sure. In the okay. Day, I, I go over to, uh, you know, I, I grab my jar of pennies that I've saved, and I'm going to buy a trio of Angolan pythons from, from Casey Lavitt. Um, Casey lives in the area. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I, I live close enough and I developed a bit of a rapport with him and he let me come to his house and he, he takes out all these little baby Angolan pythons and he's like, these guys are all unrelated and, and everything. And, and I am just psyched about the Angolan pythons and, um, you know, but you, you got to haggle a little bit. And so Casey, Casey offers, to sweeten the deal with a trio of mm-hmm. uh, Breedle's pythons, Centralians. Okay. So this is like, uh, I don't know, 14 years ago. It's been a while. Okay. It's a long time. Right. So 
one of the breed lie was just your normal, standard-looking Centralian, and one of them was Hypo, and one of them was Striped. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And I I had no idea. You know, I was just all amped on the Angolans, which... I still have them. I, I love them. They're great snakes. Um, and I, I let a buddy take care of the, the breed likes. I'm like, ah, you know, my cage is kind of full. And, you know, yeah, you want to keep them? You want to take care of them? And he took care of them for like two years. He's like, hey, Doug, you know, you want these back? I, I got to go. And I'm like, dude, you've earned the right to say they're yours. If you can't keep them, sell them and keep the money. And so I have no idea what happened to them. But oh my God! <laughs> I, I literally, well over a decade ago, had a hypo, a striped, and a normal Centralian python. Wow! And I just let him go. Wow! <laughs> I'm I'm really good at doing things the wrong way sometimes. Yeah, that is the wrong way. Wow! <laughs> But I knew you guys would appreciate that story because, uh, you know, every once in a while we do things, uh, we make their own choices. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah no. definitely. I've let animals go that kick, the appear, reappear and kick me right where <laughs> the you know, oh, that's happening. With carpets, that must happen all the time where you don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not until it's an adult that you realize what you sold. Well, yeah. Yeah, now Pretty I much. Know it's all. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, no regrets. Yeah. No regrets. Well, you can always get uh, hypos and uh, stripes now if you if you want. <laughs> you can get stonewashed yeah. now. Yeah. 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 I um, should have been that guy going. Here's the hypos. Here's the stripes. But no, it's not me. Uh, not yeah. like I. Not like I wasn't working with anything interesting. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so my my misfortune was someone else's fortune, and I'm fine with that. Right. I am curious. Uh, I've never really had the opportunity to talk to somebody about Angolan pythons, and uh, they're one of my, uh, you know, uh, what would you say, um, side favorite snakes. Uh, yeah. I really I really dig them. What maybe talk a little bit about them, like what your experiences with them and all that kind of stuff. Um, easy, casual. Uh, they are one of the more reliable snakes that I keep. Um, of the snakes that I, because I said I always hook everything out. Um, uh-huh. and, and some of them it's for the snake's benefit and some of them it's for my benefit. And with the Angolans, it's, it's for their benefit because I know they're not going to strike me. Um, they're chill. They're pretty. The female is a good, I don't know, she's probably seven feet long. Um, you know, she's still a good feeder. She's produced, you know, four or five clutches maybe over the years. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, they've got that cool beaded skin that you just don't see with a whole lot of snakes. Um, and it makes me wonder why they have it. Um, and you know, people, People kind of dog on them a little bit because they're too much like ball pythons and they've got whatever thing against ball pythons or whatever. They do have kind of that interesting uh, interesting paddle-shaped head, I suppose. But, uh, you know, just the look of the body, um, you know, it's just a nice, healthy, chill python. 
you know, I, I, I'm not going to be like hyping it like I was the Museranas, but <laughs> they're just easy. Uh, you know, you throw food at them, they eat it, and you know, I like saw out one rat, and if one of them isn't hungry, one of the other ones is, and you know, I just take them out. They don't freak out. They don't strike. They seem pretty calm to be handled. They seem beautiful to look at. Um, right. And, you know, I think I think my female is kind of getting on the uh, the aged side. You know, she, uh, you know, kind of acting a little bit more like an elderly snake, a little less interested in food every time it's offered. But, uh, right. you know, she's still, she's still fine. I still pull her out, throw her over my shoulders and wander around the snake room and giggle. Oh, hmm. <laughs> I'm walking around with an Angolan python on my shoulders. Who else right. is doing that in the world right now? Not all white <laughs> people. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to giggle. Um, right. But, you know, they've got that beautiful, like, golden color to them. I mean, it's, a, it's a vibrant gold that you just don't see in a whole lot of different species. So um, that's probably my favorite thing about them, you know, the, the feel of the skin and that just golden color that they get. And it's almost metallic, and I think that's just the coolest. And, you know, there's, when it comes down to it, of the, the pythons that are available in the hobby, they're one of the rarest. I mean, they're not, they're not rough-scale python rare, but, uh, you know, they're, they're natural habitats, not the widest ranging. So it's, not right. like, it's not like they're, they're easy to be found. So, you know, I definitely encourage folks, you know, work with them and breed them because, you know, I, that's definitely a couple of species that might, uh, might not be coming back or coming into the United States on any frequency anymore. Right. Any tips, uh, tips you could give me for uh, breeding those guys, anything, or is it just your standard Python uh, breeding? Yeah. Yeah. You know, (laughs) standard stuff. Your, your snake room gets cold in the winter time and, and you keep them together when you do. I actually, I've kept my trio together all the time. Ever since I owned them, I've just kept them in the same cage. Okay. And they've mm. just always been, they've always been cage mates. And I, I wouldn't call that any secret to success. I, you know, they certainly didn't miss out on breeding opportunities, um, you know, by keeping them together. But they, they don't seem to be aggressive at all to each other. So I've never felt, never felt badly about leaving them in one big cage. And right. so, not yeah. I, I don't think I have tips that uh, okay. you know, you know, mind blowing or game altering. Gotcha. I'll just hit you up when I'm breeding them. That's all. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, How old are yours? Uh, my female is uh, a year and a half, and my. Male is a uh, year, so okay. Yeah, still, still, they're eating good. They're doing good. Yeah. Uh, you know, just cool snakes. No, I, I don't know. When I was a kid, I, I just I saw them at a reptile show and I saw the price on them and I just thought that they were cool. And I remember flipping through that book, that Python and Boa book. I think it's uh, what's that guy's name, Stafford or whatever, uh, wrote it. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw them in there, and I, you know, I was like, "Wow, that's cool." And it was probably it was cool to me because it was rare, and nobody had it. 
So when I saw it, I was like, oh, man, you know, I wouldn't get one of them. And they were always one of those ones that I kind of just, like, put off and put off and put off. And then finally I saw them in person. Ben uh, from Australian Edition at Hamburg. And the contrast and the pattern. And I was just like, you know what? I'm I'm grabbing the – I'm grabbing some of that. So. Very, very cool. Yeah. Yep, that's, how, that's how this hobby is supposed to be, man. We we look at the books and we look at the internet and we see something that looks really cool and, you know, we dream about having it and the hunt is on. And, you know, so more often than not, you get the animal and it's as cool as you thought it was going to be. Yeah. And you go in your snake room and you stare inside the cages and you giggle to yourself. Oh, I can't believe I have this. Yeah. Yeah, one day I'll do that with uh, Imbricata and uh, Owen, Tal- uh, Owen Palentis, <laughs> one of these days. Yeah, uh, dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Soon. I, I I will enjoy listening to you talking about that because, like, yep, been there. I, I have been there. I, I've had that dream animal, and it was nowhere to be found, and then someday it's going to be on the side of the pond, and it's going to be $5,000, and you're going to apologize to your wife, and, uh-huh. <laughs> and you're just going to get it, yeah. and, uh, and it's going to be worth it. Oh, so yeah. uh, how much time do you have? Because I, I do have uh, a couple of topics that I want to touch on really quick that are a little more general. Are we yeah, about to we get have... cut off? Or are we okay? No, we've got plenty of time. Go ahead. Go for it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, so I, I, I want to be uh, – I just want to be an ambassador to the hobby for a moment here. And, you know, you guys have done a great job by starting Carpet Fest. You had your Northeast Carpet Fest and somebody else decided, hey, we could do that. And somebody else mm-hmm. decided, hey, we could do that. And it's, and it's kind of, you know, it's got that synergy. It's just got that own self-sustaining vibe. And it's, and it's gone around the country. And, and I think the cool thing about that is, what we need to do, we need to make sure that we meet other reptile keepers. So to go to your local carpet fest, and if there isn't one nearby, have one. It's not – tell Eric – listen to me, people. Tell Eric and Owen you're going to have a carpet fest. They will help you promote it. They, they have this podcast, and they will tell the people, this is where it is. <laughs> you should go attend it, <laughs> and you will have fun. Um, there's people out there, you know, if, if, if you've thrown a party and your friends had a good time at your party, well, have a snake party, you know, have carpet fest or have Python fest or, or whatever. Go to your, go to your local herpetological society and, and start meeting people in the flesh and, and network. And let's, you know, let's make the hobby a little bit stronger and social, um, you know, we, you want to have those friends where, you know, you, like I, I broke my arm a few years back and my cages were starting to get a little rank and I was able to call a buddy and just go, Hey, I can't clean my cages. Can, can you come over? I, and I'll owe you one. And he came over and took care of it. But if I didn't, hadn't been social and, you know, made an effort to meet other people locally that keep reptiles, my snakes would have suffered. Right. Yeah. You know, there's there's the legal aspect of things where, you know, the Humane Society of the United States, want, they don't want us keeping snakes. And they'll shut your state down. But if, you know, you have a herpetological society that's nearby, 
you know, start one up if there isn't one nearby. But if there is one, join it and make it stronger so that when, you know, they try and change the laws in your state, you know, you can you can go talk to your senator, your state senators and representatives and, and actually have some clout with them. You know, being a member of the local herpetological society, it's, it's scientific sounding and it, you know, you'll, sure. you'll have some clout. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff we need to do to make the hobby more fun for everybody and make it last longer. And it's going to make it so we can keep more species. And, you know, I mean, you know, we can, we can make this more fun. Carpet Fest is a blast. And mm-hmm. how many people do you get? How many people are you guys meeting at Carpet Fest? I mean, that you still keep in contact with? There's all tons of them. Tons, yeah. yeah. You know, people I never knew. Like they're driving up from Portland and that to to come to Carpet Fest, and it's like, wow, there's there's other snake keepers, and they're like normal people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. Some of them aren't normal people, but they're interesting. <laughs> and, right. Uh, you know, it's have fun, be social. And 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 join join the groups, join join a local herb society. Um, and as a side note, I just Nick Mutton has been nothing but a trooper <laughs> at Northwest Carpet Fest. You try to kill it <laughs> for years. Um, and but you know he's he's not just doing it for show. Um, Every time he does something like that, U.S. Ark makes money. He's, yeah. He's not dressing up in drag because he wants to dress up in drag at one of my parties. Well, he might, no, but, dressing, you know, that's, well, he, that's his decision. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's he does that because people are well. It's part. It's become part of the game. You know, mm-hmm. we will pay money to see what you do to Nick. But if people aren't <laughs> going to step up and pay money, you know, right. well, Nick doesn't have to do anything. So, no. you know, we do this to we do this to make money for US Arc. Which brings me to the next topic, which is, Eric, how have you let Owen get away with not being <laughs> Northeast Carpet Fest? Uh, not not being killed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, thrown in a hot how how is it that Owen hasn't been thrown in a hot tub filled with ice water? We haven't had or, a hot tub uh, to throw me in. Next <laughs> year we will. Recently. All right. <laughs> Eric, uh, whoever whoever's putting on the next carpet fest or northeast it's carpet him. fest. Yeah. Uh, Eric, you got to get a hot tub. You got to <laughs> fill it with ice water, and you got to make Owen get in the water. But he only has to do it if you guys come up with you know a couple hundred bucks for U.S. Arc. Done. There we go. Done. I'll do it. Yeah. There I'll you do go. Because there's <laughs> enough people. Listen, I've pissed off enough people in my tenure here at Morelia Python Radio. I'm pretty sure we could break all kinds of records trying to kill me. So, you know. Dude, I got, I got 50 bucks right now, and I don't there even you go, know see? what you guys are going to do. <laughs> Other buddies going to mortgage his house to try to kill me. So, you know. Mike Brodna, he's got you, man. Yeah, I know. It's like there there are enough people that will, like, like people from my high school are going to show up and try to murder me. They won't give a damn about the snakes, but, you know. So, so there you go. Um, this is a great fundraising thing. You get to be the whipping boy. Uh, people will remember it. They'll laugh. And, yep. uh, 
Yeah. Hey, so uh, I'll eat a rat Owen, too. I, just, I mean, I'm fine with that. Whatever. <laughs> no. Well, you know, I've always told Nick, there's nothing that I will ask you to do that I wouldn't do myself. Um, <laughs> oh, oh. So there we go, Eric. <laughs> yeah. You got to be willing so, to do it too. Eric, <laughs> I would do it. Yeah, man. I'm in. Uh, <laughs> See, there you we'll go. Do, but you we'll just have to be willing. And this raise dangerous. the money. <laughs> <laughs> This is a dangerous president we're about to set. So, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as long as it's all in fun and doesn't cause uh, anything more than, you know, make a couple of Tylenol to cure the headache right. to make it go away or whatever. Right. I mean, I got slapped. I got slapped by Nick Mutton. Uh, Holy shit. That dude bent, that... The dude bent wait, wait, wait. 400 pounds and he was gentle. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like somebody paid twenty bucks to watch Nick slap me in the face. Okay. We don't want to do that. People again would pay a crap ton of money to watch Eric punch me or something. So <laughs> again, fifty dollars. But the problem is that I feel that Eric would like all of a sudden start getting a lot of rage that he's been bottling up towards me out. And, you know, he starts cursing and hitting me. You, you stupid Is, uh, yeah, is, is awesome. 
you know? So. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you, you go to these events and you're going to find that guy. It's like, wait a minute, you work with that species. I've wanted to work with that forever. And, and it's, it's that networking that will make your hobby easier and will just make your life more fun. You're going to have that guy that you can, you know, send a picture of the latest hatchy that pops out. Right. And, uh, you know, it's this, this hobby is better when we're social and uh, it suffers when we're antisocial. So for those of you who live, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, anywhere from Portland to Vancouver, BC, uh, Northwest Carpet Fest in my house, September 16th. Um, wow, awesome! My, yeah, my. <laughs> the past few years, you know, we've been having this, and my wife and I always try to have get-togethers and parties. We've got a good house and a good yard for, you know, having friends over, and every Christmas season, you know, we have family and friends over. And the past few years, we've had Carpet Fest. And my wife told me that the people that come to Carpet Fest have consistently been nicer and mm-hmm. more gracious about being invited. You know, there's, there's people out there, and, and I don't mean to, like, just make a sad story, but it's like there's people out there that are itching to meet other people in the reptile community. And, you know, man, make friends with them. Yeah. yeah. Have a carpet fest. Have a carpet fest. They're going to come to your house. You're going to feed them a little bit. They'll have a few drinks with you. You'll laugh and you'll joke and you'll have a good time. And when they leave, they're going to thank you. And uh, and it's totally worth it. And you're going to make friends. And so there, I've I've I stood on my soapbox and uh, <laughs> you know made my point. Preach it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> It's awesome um, you guys are still rolling with it. And, and you know what, it's, it's one of those things that we kind of have, we're kind of have almost all the corners of the country. We got the Northeast, the uh, Southeast, we got the Northwest, the Southwest, and we got the Southern. And then we kind of made like Tinley Park the unofficial, you know, Midwest uh, carpet. Sure. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool that we're getting that. And I, but I would, I would still love to see more. And I still think that there's room for tons more. So, totally. Yep. I, yeah. I agree. And, you know, Carpet Fest, it's not just Carpet Fest. I mean, people are no. people who people listen to your show that don't have Carpet Pythons because you guys have kind of the last remaining quality podcast. Um, and, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you listen to us by and the so, wall. Yes, we win because. <laughs> Boy, that was certainly a backhanded compliment on my part. Um, but no, you guys, you guys have maintained the show, and there was like the Herp Nation radio that went on for a while. It was fantastic, and it it went away, and and you guys just kind of kept on plugging. And so the people that are listening to your show, they don't necessarily even keep carpet pythons. You know, they keep all sorts of stuff, and those people are still going to go to carpet fest and have a good time. So, yeah. you know, let's this, all do it. Uh, Have a good time this, together. This past uh, Northeast, I think we had quite a bit something. of yeah. um, uh, blood pythons and short, short tail python keepers. Yeah. You know? and, and they were like the, uh, let's say, 
the Nick Mutton and uh, of the short tail world. You know, I mean, you got like guys like Heath and Matt and uh, you know Frank was here and yeah. You know, these are like these are like legit guys that are doing uh, some some pretty awesome stuff in the short tail world, Absolutely. and they just they just do it because <laughs> I think I think Matt I don't even know how Matt sort of he just kind of because we live close I guess was like how did we meet up with Matt Owen uh, like how Matt. did that happen. I don't even know. It's been so long. I don't even remember. Well, no, listen. Matt and I have always, like, I knew of Matt at the shows. And then they they started putting me behind Matt at reptile shows. So, you know, Matt and I started getting talking more and more and more. And then I think you came with me to one or two shows. And then that was it. It was just like more and more Um, and more. Started talking more about carpets and stuff like that. And then it just kind of got hooked. I, I wanted to get into short tails and right. I wanted to buy something from him. So I did. And I went to his house Yeah. and uh, he showed me his collection. Um, and then it kind of went from there, you know, but uh, I mean, he doesn't even really keep carpets at all. He's he like keeps what, more three. I think. Yeah. yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but he's got uh, like the Condros and the rough scale and, you know, so he's yeah. working on, other stuff. Sure. But my point is, is that, you you know, I guess what I'm saying is, is that if you're going to make friends in the, in the, in the Herc community, you don't even necessarily have to be into the same thing. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like, if you got somebody that's close by you or whatever, reach out, man. You know? Absolutely. Get to, get you to know, know the person. You guys, you guys had Bill Hughes on a um, couple not too long ago talking about mm-hmm. Tanzania and, you know, and he and I just, that's one of those things. He and I just met whatever. And now it's like, we're constantly call each other on the phone and chit chat and that. And sometimes it's stuff we each keep, sometimes it's stuff that neither of us or one of us keeps and they're just excited to talk to somebody and we just need to keep more of that going. So yeah. keep, keep it going. Keep spreading the reptile love, man. That's right. Definitely. <laughs> I like it. Cool. So, I guess before we get cut off, we definitely want to hit Ah, on the closing question. Yeah, we made it. All right. Um, We made it. Christopher Walken, talk to me, man. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm curious about. That's it. If you could host anywhere, I see, I can't even try. I can't even begin to do it. Oh, yeah. Here, yep. Yep. It's one of the. if you could work with any species without limitations of uh, finances or law, what would it be and why? So I, I have always loved this question when you guys have asked your guests, because every time you ask it, I'm like, yeah, what would I keep? Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, not, not to pat myself too hard on the back because I'll hurt my shoulder, but I've kind of done it. You know, I wanted Bolins. <laughs> I, I wanted Bolins, and so I went and got Bolins, and I wanted Shinglebacks, and I went and got Shinglebacks, and I wanted Mooseronas, and I went and got them. Um, but, you know, we all would love to be able to keep that stuff that we can't just because logistically it doesn't work. I mean, who would mm-hmm. love to have a big crocodile pond or yeah. something like that? So um, for living animals, uh 
I, wow, like the Chinese alligator or African dwarf crocodiles, you know, they don't get giant. It would uh, be pretty, pretty fun to have, you know, one of those living dinosaurs in my house. Yeah. Or, or because, because money is no object, it would obviously, you know, laws are no object when money is no object. And so, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, you can make yourself a zoo and be AZA certified if money is no object. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I would, I'd probably have me some uh, African dwarf crocs or some alli- um, Chinese alligators, uh, you know, but who wouldn't, who wouldn't love to have, you know, Galapagos yeah. tortoises or Aldabrans, and, you know, it's, it's the, the dream goes on and, you know, I'm sure today's Chinese alligator will be tomorrow's, Galapagos tortoise will be, you know, a tuatara. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, it's it gonna going to change from day to day. But right. I had to think, what is something that no one else has said? And I thought, I would love to have a triceratops. We did not specify. Or maybe a dimetrodon, you know, some of those proto mammals. Yeah. Um, or uh, <laughs> yeah, they got that. The, the Sega has that tagamizer tail, and I just I see myself getting impaled. I mean, I get freaked out when a sand boa strikes at me, and I just couldn't imagine, <laughs> you know, four foot spikes swinging in my direction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you never said I couldn't have a triceratops. Or I did at not. Least go harping, and so. So there you go. I would like to have a, you know, 25-foot-long uh, fern-eating triceratops. Triceratops. That is the new All one, right. Owen. Write it down. That is, the, that is the peak. Yeah, we had someone say triceratops once. All right, it works. Um, <laughs> if you could go herping anywhere on the planet, where would you want to go and what would you be hoping to find? And again, you didn't say it had to be now. I did not. And, <laughs> and so I would like to go herping in North America just before the uh, Chitsalub uh, crater impact and, <laughs> and see the. I would like to see interaction between, you know, the, the T-Rex and the Triceratops. Um, you know, I, I, I've, been, I've been fortunate enough you know, in my life with my job and my time off and that, that, you know, I, I, I do my rock climbing and when you go rock climbing, you're outside. And so you end up actually herping. And so, you know, I've managed to accidentally go herping all over the United States and Canada and Mexico and Australia. And, you know, so I've, I've been very fortunate along that lines. And so I'm just going to have to say, um, you know, it's, I want to see or go herping in North America before the impact or maybe the uh, early Permian with the Dimetrodon and all those guys. And, mm-hmm. and uh, back when, what was it, Pangea, in the days of Pangea or Guandano Land or whatever it was called, you know, how cool okay. would that be to, uh, be to see those things cool. before they became rocks? Yeah, so that's what I want to do. And, uh, <laughs> So make it happen, Eric. Make it happen. <laughs> Not really herping is more of time travel, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> somebody, somebody at Carpet Fest has got to have that figured out by, you know, by now. Year. I mean, come on. 
Come on, the logistics. It's just logistics. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you said money is no object. That is All true. Right. That is true. <laughs> Excellent. So there's my answers. Awesome. Awesome. Those are the new ones. So uh, obviously, how does someone get in contact with you if they want to chat up animals or if you're interested in purchasing any of the animals you have for sale? Um, I used to have a face or uh, you know just a web page, but uh, I kind of. I no longer really run it as a business, and I'm, I'm truly just a hobbyist. And so uh, on Facebook, you could probably look up uh, Douglas Taylor and then add reptiles or rock climbing, and, and I'll be the guy whose profile is just black. It's, <laughs> it's easy to find because there's no picture there. It's just black. Got it. And, yeah. uh, and you can do that, or you can show up at Carpet Fest um, or – you know, let's see, how else? Uh, you know, I guess uh, I, I don't give my phone number over the show, but I can give my email. Yeah. It's, it's Tonka. It's Tonka's house. Tonka was the dog, so now that makes sense. Tonka's house uh-huh. at uh, at Comcast.net. And, and send me an email. I, I love talking snakes. I love talking awesome. lizards. Yeah, man. So I, 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 if I have time, you know, in my day. Which uh, you know, summertime between uh, between my climbing and paddling and reptiles and that, I I might seem like I don't want to talk, but uh, the rainy season will come in a few months, and uh, I'll have a lot more free time. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah. Thank, I mean, thanks for coming and hanging out with us and uh, chatting all these uh, different uh, species that uh, don't get a whole lot of love. So mm-hmm. I always like uh, covering that type of stuff. Um, I put it in the archives, and people can listen back to it. So yeah, fantastic guys. You know, Thanks thank for you for me punching me in the wallet. You know, with all these new species <laughs> that I got to get into. Yeah. So that yeah, was nice. I, apparently, I've made it so people are going to be punching you in the gut too. Oh yeah, you uh, got both. <laughs> I was just getting hit all over. That's a twofer. That's a twofer. I. I I have done my job. <sighs> I, can now, I can now relax. You can sleep easy tonight, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks. Seriously, though, thanks for putting on a, a great podcast. Um, you know, thanks. we we out here in internet land, we truly appreciate it. You know, keep finding interesting guests and, and keep it coming because, uh, you know, I can't I, – I listen to podcasts all the time and the news is bleak and – but. Science is fun and reptiles is way fun. So, you know, let's uh, let's keep it coming. Awesome. Will awesome. do. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Thanks for All talking. Right. Thanks. Thanks. Absolutely. Doug. Cool. Let's see. All right. Um. So next week. Yeah. Yeah. We have uh, Mark. Um, Mark Goyer is coming on. Um. And uh, yeah, Doug talked about uh, getting titty twisted by a uh, yeah, we're in the, yeah. Out, so yeah. I already messaged him and told him that we talked about it. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a carpet guy and uh, has some really cool stuff. And um, he's bred a lot of different uh, 
subspecies uh, of the carpet complex. So it should be very interesting talking to him and uh, getting uh, some of his thoughts on what awesome. he's doing. So looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Okay, so for us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Uh, check it out for everything Morelia. You can stay up to date with us, what's going on on our Facebook page, uh, Morelia Python Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at Morelia Python. You can listen to the show on iTunes, Blog Talk, Stitcher, whatever podcast app you choose. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, guest suggestions, etc., you can email us at info at moreliapythonradio.com. Uh, and as far as our... Uh, we have, don't forget about uh, reptilinks, uh, especially for like when you're dealing with species like blackhead. Um, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, I had, I think I talked about this last week, but I fed <clears throat> my olive pythons again. Uh, this time they ate rabbits. <laughs> so oh, nice. uh, they uh, quite enjoyed it. And, you know, uh, it was, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty weird. I, you know, I had a couple of them that, um, a couple of them that they were like a little weird and like, uh, they kind of, I don't know. And, and I'm probably just thinking too much into it, but they kind of were like, they struck at it. Cause it was just like, it looked like it was just instinct. And then they were mm-hmm. kind of like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I had to like go back in and do it again. But, uh, I've had pretty much, I'd say 98% success with my stuff taking it. Um, you know, some of the ones that were uh, harder to get going um, and uh, what I would call, uh, I don't want to say stunted growth, but you know how you have like that uh, trouble feeder and they yeah, kind of like wrong. fall behind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm kind of using them for things like that and getting them, uh, getting them, putting the weight on them. So uh Seems to be working pretty well. So check out Reptilinks, uh, Reptilinks.com. Nick's an awesome guy, and uh, he has uh, he has a really good idea what he's what he's what's going on over there. So check it out. Uh, S and J Reptiles. Uh, Ian Bissell, He's always hooking us up with. Uh, although most well, he led us to Bill Hughes. That's the one guest that I've used so far. But a lot of the yeah. other guys I haven't had on yet. But. Uh, there's, there's a list that we're working on, and uh, we're going to get some Condro shows and stuff. I didn't want to do it too close to uh, us going on GTP Keeper Radio. Um, so uh, probably in the next month. we got to get hooked up with Bill at some point. We're going to get the uh, calendar winners together. Yep. Um, so that should be coming in the near future. Uh, so, uh, S and J reptiles.com or you can check it out on Facebook, S and J reptiles. As far as myself, EB Morelia, um, basically EB Morelia.com. I just updated my website. Uh, 2018 breeding season page is almost hundred percent complete. Uh, so you can check it out to see what we have. Gonna, I mean, what we're going to have, hopefully, uh, in the 2018 breeding season, I took 2017 off to really kick it out of the park in 2018. So, a lot of coastal pairings I got going on. Yeah, which is, uh, <laughs> I know. I'm pleased. A lot of, a lot of cool coastal stuff. Uh, but um, check it out, and uh, if you, uh, you know, obviously look to that page for any updates or whatnot. So, uh, as we get closer and things start to progress. 
I guess if you're interested in something or want to get on a list uh, behind Owen, because he's already gotten on the list. God damn right. <laughs> he sent me that today. I laid down the line of which ones I want, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, first pick of these four clutches. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, if you're interested, just send me an email at eric at ebbvarily.com. You can check out uh, updates uh, for what's going on. Uh, I do have a Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, all ebbvarily. So, um, and the website, ebbvarily.com. That is all I have. Cool. Uh, what I got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com, check out all the stuff we got going on over there. There is currently all the babies that we have for sale uh, are listed and the uh, snakes for sale page. We even have an adult male up there too, a caramel boy I'm trying to get rid of. Um, and as far as the Facebook page, you can look up rogue reptiles at facebook.com. Give us a like over there. Same thing goes. There are for sale baby gallery over there. And I'm actually going to start doing more organized galleries of what our projects are and what our animals are on the Facebook page as well. So look for updates for that. As far as shows, I currently have one show coming up where I'll be vending and that is the October Tinley Park Reptile Show. But I will be attending both this weekend on Saturday, the Oaks Reptile Show, as well as the August Hamburg Reptile Show and probably the White Plains Show in there too. So if you are in the area and want a baby delivered, we can do that as well. Uh, that's all I got. That's all we got for you guys tonight. So what we will say is we will catch you all next week. Thanks for listening and see y'all back here for some more Morelia Python radio. Good night.